get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He's making some changes. It looks like he'll have neighbors who played really well. I thought he was one of the Blues' best players against Winnipeg. On that third line, uh, it looks like uh, uh, Torpchenko will be on that line as well. And then on the fourth line, uh, Vrana and Blay will be with Sunquist. it appears. Um, and with Vrana, this one's a little bit puzzling to me. Like, I don't think he deserves to be higher in the lineup or he's playing well or anything like that. But if anybody would have said that Jacob Vrana would have been on your fourth line with Blay and Sunquist, I think you would have scratched your head. So uh, he didn't play much the other night. Not a lot of even strength ice time. He did have that penalty that was costly when the Blues were on the power play. It looked a little incidental to me, uh, but uh, you know maybe more than meets the eye on that penalty, uh, but not up to snuff. And so it looks like he's been pushed down. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. That was Jeremy Rutherford on with the morning show earlier today talking about the change that we're expecting to see in the lineup, Alex. Changes! Oh boy, this is one I'm going to try to be very reasonable about, but I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm having a tough time today. When was the last time BK's ever been reasonable? No, it's a fair point. I'm going to be pretty unreasonable for most of the show today. We'll talk to Joey Vitale coming up in about 20 minutes or so about this change to the lineup. Get his perspective on it. Alex, the biggest thing that I want to spend in this segment doing is understanding where the Blues are coming from. So that's what I want you to do for me. I I will bounce off my concerns. I would love for you to give me the perspective of why I'm wrong. Can you promise me something, though? Please. And when I give you the answer, you don't get angry and you push back and say, no, no, that's not the correct way. This is the correct way. I can't promise that at all. That tone. Short straw and have to take that side. (laughs) That tone. Don't use the tone with me. I cannot promise you that I, I will avoid that. I can promise you that yeah, I will try. It I should have refilled. Run this to the thing. run to the yeah. break room. Go yeah, fill I got it some up. Water over we'll here. kill <laughs> some time. I got hot coffee. Let's pour it on him. So Yakub Vrana played seven minutes and forty nine seconds on of even strength ice time in their last game. So it shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody that he's in the doghouse right now. He was in the doghouse in the last game. My concern, Alex, is that I, I understand the, the coaching staff clearly believes that Yakub Vrana is not playing particularly well. They are certainly more well-versed in his play than we are on the outside looking in. And this very may well be one of those things where they're saying, hey, we can't let something that is happening with Verona linger the way that we did with some of the guys last year that weren't playing well early on in the season. And it became a culture problem for the Blues. So from that perspective, if that's what this is, okay, cool. I get it. I understand where you're trying to go with this. You're trying to nip everything in the bud quickly because you don't want a repeat of last year. Where I do have a little bit of a question and some concerns is if that's not the case, if they just think, hey, he's not playing that well, we need to get him either out of the lineup entirely where they're going to go 11 and seven or put him on the fourth line tonight where he's going to attempt to be somebody that gives you some physicality, I suppose. Okay, well, there was a little bit of tone, but keep going. It's not exactly his game, but whatever. Does he have a hit yet this year? Uh, Probably not. Hold on. Let me look that up. I don't. He does. I don't understand why you're taking him off of the ice while he's trying to find his game. So, Alex, 
if you were to present the alternative view on this, what would it be? So, Yakub Verana being a healthy scratch, if that's the route they go, or if they're putting him on the fourth line, it is really hard for me to imagine them playing that guy on the fourth line because Craig Berube likes to use his fourth line for one thing and one thing only a physicality line, a tone setting line. And Verana's not going to be that. T Bone asked the question, how many hits does he have? He has two, and it was in one game. So, probably weren't even really hits. If, 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 we're go- if we're going down the path of they go 11 7 or they put Alexandrov in, my only thought as to why they're going about this is what Craig Berube has done in the past with other players that haven't looked right in the system he's trying to do. And that's sit them in the press box for a night so that they can sit next to the coaches and they can talk about what they want to see from him. This is what they did with Robert Thomas in his first season with the Blues. It's what they did with Jordan Cairo in his first full season with the Blues. He's done this before with guys that that aren't particularly aren't particularly up to snuff with what Craig Berube is trying to accomplish. That's the only thought process I can have with this. I didn't think he had an awful game against Winnipeg. We clear, not not you, Alex, but like us on the outside. Apparently, we're missing something with Verona because the numbers all tell you he's been okay for the most part, and it there's got to be something in his game that the coaching staff doesn't like I, that they're noticing. I think it's the fact that the, the shooting's just not what they want it to be. Like, he's got, I think it's eight shots on goal so far this season, but four of those have been on power play, which means now we've got four shots on goal, if I read this correctly, at even strength. And if you checked out Jeremy Rutherford's piece on The Athletic, the two guys that maintain the most offensive zone time right now, which isn't pretty in itself, is Sammy Blay and Yakub Verana. And Yakub Verana is not shooting a lot. So that could be part of it. The other part of it is just when you're playing on that third line role, you're just not getting that offensive zone time. And they want Verana to see a bigger picture rather than just tape after the game of what they're trying to accomplish. That's my only thought process of past Craig Berube decisions as to what they're trying to accomplish with Yakub Verana. Yeah, and I I guess that could be it. Um, Verana so far at five on five has five shots okay, this so year. Okay, so it's five. So for what it's worth, the only forwards that have more than him are Kairu, Saad, and Neighbors. I think it's more than deserving, by the way, that Jake Neighbors gets moved up. The mm-hmm. thing that I'm c- confused by, I guess would be the best way to put it, is why Torpchenko... Great job on the tone. ...is also moving up to the third line. We, we just saw this so, last weekend where Torpchenko was moved up to the second line. So it is a, a difference there. And by the third period, the Blues said, okay, we can't do this. He's not a, he's not a top yeah. six winger. He's somebody that needs to play on the fourth line. And if this is a situation where he just moved up yesterday in practice because they're going to go 11 and seven, and that's where they had to have him in the lineup as a real, cool, fine, whatever. Um, but I do find it a little bit strange. All of this just feels off. It all feels off. It feels the like fact that this team needs offense and they're sitting one of the guys that we came into the season thinking that was going to drive the offense. That feels off to me. The fact that in the last game, when I didn't think he played overly poorly, at least from my perspective, that felt off to me. There's just a lot of stuff that feels kind of odd yeah. about what's going on. But you always say, BK, like, look at their actions, not their words, and sure. look at their actions. If they're desperate for offense, well, they're not showing it. They're not moving guys around. They're they're keeping Thomas and Kairou and Saad together. They're keeping Shannon Kapanen and Buchnevich together, and they're juggling up the bottom two lines. This is why they're giving me kind of carnal z vibes good vibrations no no okay i get it's a smaller sample size and it's five games compared to the carnal where it was a month but there were serious alarm bells that were going off and what did the carnals front office say relax 
It's going to be fine. I'm getting the same vibes from the Blues where it is, man, this team needs offense. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we read off how historically bad the numbers are through five games yesterday. And you're pulling out a guy that we thought that could contribute offensively. If you're making changes to the defense, like we heard Curbs tell us yesterday that Pernowitz was skating with Tucker and Bortuzzo's into the lineup. Well, that's not an offensive upgrade. I would think if you're going to look for offense, you may add a another puck-moving defenseman like a Scott Pernovich. There's just things that seem off. So here's why Torovchenko, and this is just my tell on sure. this, this is where I can see why they're putting him up in that spot. Look, if Verona wasn't going to be a healthy scratch, I think Verona would be playing on that line, and it would just be Jake Neighbors playing with Kevin Hayes and Sammy Blade dips down. The reason Torupchenko is up on that line is if if Verana's not playing tonight and they're going 11-7, you need speed with Kevin Hayes. Kevin Hayes is not fast. Kevin Hayes is good at puck possession. But having Sammy Blay on that line, look, I love Sammy Blay, but Sammy Blay is also slow. You need speed up there. So Torupchenko is going to be the big body that can go to the front of the net. And Jake Neighbors is also the guy that goes to the front of the net. Frankly, it seems like the line they're trying to make right now with Hayes and Neighbors and Torpchenko, if it is, is a big body physical line that can get offensive opportunities and screens in front of the net. So to that point, Craig Berube was on with the fast lane yesterday and they asked him, okay, how do you get more offensive zone time? And I think this answer might also illustrate what he's searching for by putting Torpchenko up there, Neighbors up there. It might tell you a little bit on where his headspace is right now. For me, it all starts with the four check. <clears throat> and then you know, winning those, getting on them pucks to the forecheck, getting there, you know, get winning those battles, then creating, you know, ozone time, getting it low to high, shooting pucks and getting them puck recoveries, you know. We got, we, we're doing great things off the rush right now, but we're just not getting enough ozone time yet. I think that is why they're going with this kind of a line. Mm-hmm. Hey, you need more forecheck. You need to be able to get out there and less rush, more forecheck. How do you do that? Well, certainly not with Yakub Prada. And uh, you, you think you just answered your question as to why he's not playing tonight. That being said, man, Craig Berube knows more about hockey than, like, has forgotten more about hockey than I will ever learn in my entire life. So I, I'm admitting that on the front end. I think there is a little bit of this where it makes me wonder, okay, if this is the style that you want to play, why did you construct the roster the way that they did? Well, Berube didn't construct the roster. Fair. <laughs> is there another divide that is taking place? I don't know that to be true at all, but the personnel currently doesn't match this style. Robert Thomas ain't playing that way, man. Jordan Cairo isn't playing that way. I like Kasperi Kapanen as a player. I don't think he's a guy that's like getting out there on the four check in a but physical he, manner. But he is winning puck battles. Uh, and, and, sure. and winning puck battles isn't so much oh you gotta outman the uh, guy you, you gotta be able to use your stick and lift the stick and steal the puck I think there's some of that with him I think sometimes we overstate it a little bit on what he's done in that regard but fair it, it, certainly he is more active in that way than Verana or Kairu or Thomas I really think Verana is and this isn't meant to be negative Verana is a lot of what Vladimir Tarasenko was he, these he's last- Mike Hoffman yeah and guys, I hate to break it to you, but we all saw the Mike Hoffman effect with Craig Berube. But you kind of need to win with those players in today's game. Yeah, you have yeah. to find a way to make this thing but work. But they're one-trick ponies, and those sure. guys are only... But guess what? Guess what that trick is? They put the puck in the net, man. Yeah, but at 5-on-5, five five, not as much as they do on the power play. Fine. But find you're not using them to... on the first power play unit. Well, another sure. mistake. <laughs> I, I get that. But you. they're not breaking it up. And until they decide to break up that power play unit which they're not going to because they just scored a goal in the last game. I just, 
at some point, you got to find a way to utilize these kinds of players. And if you can't, okay, we've got to adjust the way that we're putting together our team then. If for whatever reason, they're just not going to work in this lineup for this team with this coach, then Army has to adjust. And now you got to go out there and maybe you put Vron on waivers and you bring up somebody from your minor league system that's going to better suit your needs for the way that this team's going to play this year. Fine, but it is something to me that feels like bigger than just a one game, either benching or fourth line demotion. This feels significant, especially to happen, man. We're what, five games into yeah, the year yeah. and he's benched? But that's why I think it is happening. And I'm going to like tinfoil for you if this does go down this way. And look, this could all change. That could have been a practice thing. And then they had coaches' now meetings yesterday. And pull trick on Calgary. Are we? I like right? it. Well, the Ryan Wingo effect. I'm we'll done call with it. the old switcheroos. The old <laughs> 24 hours. I've had enough of it. But like this could be if they go down this path of you sit tonight and he's going to be right back in there tomorrow night and they get that clearer picture too him of what they're trying to accomplish yeah and i hope that ends up being the case Me and too. if it sends the right message and this thing gets corrected and a week from now we're looking back on this and oh hot damn i think he learned exactly what they were looking for and now yakub verana is playing exactly the style that baruby was was asking for then hey man more power to him and credit to baruby he did it again he's got that midas touch where everything turns to gold if it doesn't though and this just ends up with him being the player that he's been his entire career where he kind of floats in and out of games but does have the production in terms of goal scoring i will be curious to see what that means long term for, for yakub verona's role here in and Tangles. if that's the case then craig berube if it doesn't work you don't get the message across and he's not playing that way you need to lean into the way that, craig, that verona is playing if you're craig berube you got to say okay if we're not going to get the best of him as a third line guy who can go win puck battles we need to put him in a top six that could just be a goal scorer and put him on the number one power play unit t-bone mentioned the cardinals and how this kind of feels cardinalsy from this year the comparison that i would make is actually to the wilson Contreras situation yep, where the I cardinals did not adjust to him they didn't bend towards having an offensive catcher instead they tried to make him into yadier molina basically and it results in everybody butting heads and nobody finding a way to make things work. And by the time that they did, it was already too late. I do have a little bit of a fear of that with Yakub Vrana, where Vrana's playing a certain way, the Blues are playing a certain way. There doesn't seem to be a middle ground from either side right now. And if they aren't able to find that middle ground, then this is just not going to be a pairing that ends up working long term. And I, I hope that's not the case because I think he's a super talented player. And if you can extract that talent, and we've talked about it before the season. It could be a 30 goal score. And if you don't have that talent, dude, I look at this offense and I get even more concerned than I was previously, because now you have once again taken down some of that ceiling of what the offense can be for Alex and T-Bone. I'm BK. We'll ask Joey Vitale for his perspective on this coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But next, speaking of switcheroos, uh, Yesterday, we talked about the Luther Burden effect and how Ryan Wingo is going to be a tiger. You're really going to have to work on your tone in this segment. <laughs> yeah, I know it's I am, buddy. Horns. Today, Ryan Wingo is going to Texas. What the hell happened, man? We'll talk about what it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With that being said, I'll be committed to the University of Texas.
That's what it sounded what like yesterday doing? at SLU High School as Ryan Wingo decided to take his talents down to Austin, the same place that I'm going to be heading in two weeks. Hey, listen, I want to oh, say that's I'm why you're going down there. <laughs> yeah, I want to scout it out. What did he see? Hey, Ryan Wingo, you think you're a big boy? You think you're a big boy? <laughs> T-Bone heard, hey, what, what, who was it that went to Columbus? Um, uh, the, the kid from... Oh, Johnny Gaudreau. Johnny yeah. Gaudreau to say that. Columbus can't be that nice, but I gotta go find out. And let me tell you, I came back and went, what the hell was this guy doing? Clearly go it was a, a money decision. So he wanted to go to Columbus. He found out, ah, he went there for the money. I want to go to Austin. I think I'm going to find out that Austin's pretty great, frankly. Yeah, they got I don't blame weather. Ryan Wingo for choosing the University of Texas, man. It's one of, like, the 10 most prestigious universities in America to go play football at. I don't blame anybody that wants to go play there or Miami or Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Oregon. I don't blame these kids for wanting to not play at Mizzou and deciding to take their talents elsewhere. Now, I would love, as a Missouri guy myself, for every single one of the in-state kids to stay home and make Mizzou into a top 10 program in the country. I would love to see that, man, but it's just not feasible. And a lot of these kids wants to go elsewhere, and I don't blame them. I told you guys recently I was the same way. I wanted to go to TCU, Florida, or Syracuse to get as far away from this state as I possibly could. And then I saw that, hey, I could go to Mizzou for two years, that I could go to these other places for one. The money made the decision for me. I think money makes decisions for a lot of people. So what happened? Why did Ryan Wingo go from yesterday around this time being a Missouri lock to by four o'clock me texting you guys and saying, guys, I'm pretty sure he's going to Texas. What changed in that like five hour stretch? Apparently a lot of things. Here is the 24-7, which is a recruiting network expert who had previously put in a prediction for Ryan Wingo to go to Mizzou. What did he hear day of that changed his opinion on why Ryan Wingo was going to go to Texas? He silently committed to the Longhorns during his visit for the Wyoming game. And then the Longhorns in the end were able to hold off a strong run by Missouri, the the in-state pull. He took two visits to campus, also saw them play on a neutral site. But he fell in love with Texas during his official visit in the summer. Again, gave the silent commitment for Wyoming game and then had to hold on. I thought he was going to Missouri till this morning when the when the Wingo camp reached out to me very early and told me there was a change. All right, so there you go. Something changed overnight, apparently. Now, let's hear Ronnie Wingo, Ryan Wingo's father, who was asked right after the commitment from his son, Ryan Wingo, hey, is this over? Is it is it a done deal he's going to go play at the University of Texas? Of course he's going to say yes, right? Signing day, December the 20th. You never know what can happen. No. Signing day, December the 20th. You just never know what can happen by then. Signing so you're saying you'll ex- still accept Mizzou's recruitment? Yes, sir. That audio is courtesy of Channel 5. That voice you heard there, of course, is Frank Cusimano was live at the scene talking with Ryan Wingo's father afterwards saying the recruitment very much not over. All right, let's hear from Ryan then. Ryan, the kid that's actually going to go take his talents to Austin, Texas. Do you believe that you are officially signed, sealed, delivered? You're going to Texas. I mean, I mean, I'll obviously accept it. Um, but like I said, I'm locked in with Texas right now. So, you know, it is. I mean, obviously they can recruit me still, but I'm locked in with Texas right now. So. Okay, so we got different differing opinions on Ryan, that. Ryan, you might want to go tell your dad that. <laughs> I'll give you my quick sales pitch here, or my, my elevator pitch on what I think happened. I think Ryan wanted to go to Texas, and I don't blame the kid. I was the same way. I wanted to get away. A lot of kids want to get away from the state of Missouri. He may have a million different reasons as to why that is. Maybe he just doesn't like the weather. 
He wants to go somewhere that's warm. You can't blame him. I can't blame him on that one. Maybe yeah. he went down to Texas, saw that stadium, and said, my God, I just want to wear burn orange. Saw everybody with their horns yeah. up. He's like, hell yeah, brother. I love, right? He probably <laughs> met Matthew McConaughey and said, I want to hang out with that guy. I can't blame him. He and Bijan Robinson apparently are friends. I want that relationship with him. Did he get to Maybe. ride in the car with Matthew McConaughey? Probably. Oh Maybe. God. He just really wants to catch passes from a Manning. I get I'm, that, too. Yeah. All of these things make sense to me. The problem that I had as a Missouri fan, Alex, and listen, it's the family's prerogative. They can do whatever they want to. The problem that I had with the way that this recruitment went and why I think so many are angry, not just upset, angry at the way that it was presented. I think the family presented it to everybody, including that 24-7 sports reporter that you heard there at the beginning of the segment, as if Ryan was committed to Mizzou and it was just a matter of time before he made it official in public. And then yesterday, everything flipped and they tell everybody, oh, no, something changed. He's actually going to go to Texas. If I had to guess, and this is purely a guess here, speculation by me, informed by some of the stuff that we've read and a lot of stuff where I'm kind of gut gut reaction. I think he wanted to go to Texas. I think he told his parents the other day, hey, I'm going to go to Texas. His parents said, oh, oh boy, okay. Uh, we got we to gotta correct some wrongs here where this we told new. some people that you were going to Missouri. Uh, it sounds like you're going to Texas now. Cool. I think the money was right for him at Texas, and I don't blame him for getting all of the money he possibly can. I think the money was right for him at Mizzou. So that's kind of where I fall on this. It sucks. I'm upset as a Missouri fan, but it is what it is. I think the biggest thing that ended up going, the backlash that's coming towards him is because his family was telling everybody previously he was going to Mizzou. And I don't think that ended up allowing this to be a good look for him personally. Yeah, and it sucks for Ryan Wingo because that's the one that everybody's going to bash on and say like, oh, he flipped his decision when in all reality, it probably was somebody behind the scenes that was making that case that he's going to go elsewhere. And Ryan Wingo sounds like his heart has been set on this place since summertime. So it stinks that you're in this position, but this is... This is what NIL does. Like you, if you're a family among a high school kid who is a top five recruit, that's going to be a guy that everybody wants. Well, if if you're the parent of that, having all of those conversations because the kid can not, it's pretty obvious that you're going to be trying to make sure that you get the most money possible in circumstances like sure. this. And 20 years ago, this might not have even been a conversation prior to the NIL because it would have been Ryan Wingo wants to go to Texas. Well, guess what? That's where he's going to go unless somebody swoops in and takes him off of his feet. But right now, the money's doing that. Well, we know there would have been money like in a McDonald's bag or something. Like That's how recruiting well, went back 20 years that's ago. That's under like, the table. I don't we think don't it's know changed about as it. much yeah. as people are <laughs> suggesting it has. Yeah. It's just become more public. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And look, I, I don't blame Ryan Wingo for deciding to go to Texas. Like This is the pitfalls of recruiting in college football. There are no contracts to where nobody is ever fully guaranteed to be locked into a spot. Until they've actually signed. Until they've actually signed. But he wasn't at that point yet. Right. So like, as much as people can be upset and say all the reports where he was going to go to Mizzou, man, it don't matter until he puts pen to paper. It, it really doesn't. It, he, it could have been a last-minute change for him. He may have thought he was going to Mizzou up until about 24 hours ago, and then he said, you know what? I do look better in orange. So I, I have no issues with the way that it was handled. I understand the frustration of how it ended up being reported out there for, oh, he's going to go to Mizzou, he's going to go to Mizzou. Man, it kind of still takes away some of the luster around his announcement yesterday. So I, I don't care either way. I, I, I'm just excited that he's decided, you know what, best place for me is Texas, and I wish him the best of luck at Texas because I've seen him play. He's a hell of a wide receiver. Yeah, I, I do have a little bit of an issue with the way that it was handled. Everybody can have their own perspective on this, and if you if you think he was absolutely in the in the right for everything that took place, that's totally fine, man. It, for, for me personally, I, I think that it the misleading of information that took place prior to the announcement I think led to the backlash. 
And if you're going to have all of the attention that comes with some of this stuff and you're going to feed the attention that comes with this stuff, you also then have to deal with the backlash that comes with it. And I I think a lot of this came from the family talking to reporters and saying this is what is going to take place. And so the family basically presented it as if if you're a Missouri fan, watch this. This is what's coming your way. Right. And then suddenly the rug came out from underneath you. And it's the second time that it's happened with this specific family that over the last 15 years. So I think there's some of that that's going through Mizzou fans minds that have been following recruiting for a long time. But the bigger part of this is just like he was going to go to Mizzou and then he didn't. And people are mad. I get it. Don't don't tweet at the kid. Don't say stupid stuff. Don't be an idiot. Don't be an idiot. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way to put it. If you're mad, I get it. But this is the way T-Bone's right that recruiting goes. Missouri was able to, at the last minute, pull out williams Winery. It wasn't as last minute as this was, but williams Winery is coming to Mizzou at, in large part because of the NIL stuff that they were able to offer. If you're mad at Ryan Wingo for going and taking the NIL package at Texas over Missouri's, hey, man, you are also benefiting from this. So it can go both ways. Weird day yesterday in St. Louis recruiting, but ultimately... The answer is Ryan Wingo's going to Texas unless something happens, as his dad said, December that 20th. changes before December 20th. Coming up next, Joey Vitale is going to discuss what the Blues are going to do with the lineup heading into tonight's game, including a potential change on the blue line for them. We'll talk about it next with Joey here on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Joey Vitale views things a little differently. Just imagine how he looks at hockey. This is The View from Vitale, brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi electric elite contractor. T-Bone, I'm BK. Happy to go up to uh, Calgary, Canada, where Joey Vitale is joining us live. Look at the damn map. Head of tonight's uh, <laughs> game between the Blues and the Calgary Flames. From what I understand, it's uh, nice and warm up there right now. Joe, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Joey, Joey, Joey. BK, ah. BK, it's Alberta. It's Alberta. <laughs> That's like saying St. Louis, USA. Come yeah. on, man. <laughs> That's what we told him yesterday, Joe, and he just continues to to lean into it. Calgary, Canada, just refuses to look we at had, a map. We had the best conversation about this yesterday with Chief because I asked him, I was like, Chief, where do I get some good Alberta beef? And he said, not in this town. I go, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, I go to Edmonton. So we started talking about Edmonton, and I just told him how much I despise Canada as a whole, mostly because I'm just a, I'm a very soft individual. I hate the cold weather. The sun doesn't come up until like 9.30. I, I thought it was the apocalypse this morning. I woke up at 7, got a workout in, came back to my room, made a cup of coffee, and it's like pitch black. It's like 8.45. It's like, son, what are you doing? Wake up, please. But yeah, anywhere in Alberta, uh, Edmonton, Calgary, it's just on my no-no list, guys. Listen, I'm getting through it. Is Curbs going to go find that good Calgary beef? Yeah, well, Curbs, he, he's pumped up. He's pumped up about the corned beef uh, sandwich tonight. Sure, it's, uh, it's a great beef sandwich. 
And uh, it actually works out well, Alex, because, you know, our pregame starting tonight uh, at 6 p.m., uh, where then, you know, Curbs always goes and gets it for us right after we talk to the coach. And I always say, hey, Curbs, I can't, I can't join you. Would you mind picking me up one? Because I got the great pregame show with the Alex Ferrara on. And uh, so it ends up working out pretty well because he not only gets it for me, he has to pay for it, too. Oh, that's a genius move. Yep, See, this is why See, I love our pregame show. This is why I listen in. You should. Joe <laughs> loves pregames and it's free food on the road trips. Joey right. V's got uh, it locked in. So, Joey, um, is Yakub Verona going to be joining you up in the press box tonight? Hey. You know what? I'm not. Listen, I'm not a betting man. I've, I've always I told you guys this in the past. You can read between the lines all you want. If, I'm not a betting man, but if I were in Vegas right now, I would, I would, I would put a nice little bet on that. Let's just let's just say it at that. You know, I think that. I think that Craig Berube is looking to get a lot of these forwards motivated. I think there's about five or six stragglers at this point that, you know, I talked to him on the side yesterday about it and, you know, without giving out names, there, there are some, there are some individuals that, that have another level that just, they have not hit there yet. Uh, I think Yaku Verano, to be fair, has been one of those players. You know, uh, does Craig Berube um, end up going with someone to replace Verano tonight? Does he go with 7D, which he's done in the past? Keep in mind, you got veteran Robert Bortuzzo sitting out. And you have, of course, Scott Prunovich, who they're looking to get some games in as well. It's been five games. They've been sitting around for a long time, too. Um, so maybe there's a mix-up and a shake-up on the defensive side and where maybe you just only go with 11 forwards. So lots of different options here tonight. But I, I do think Yaku Barana uh, will possibly get a reset here tonight. The Blues have not taken morning skate just yet. It's the Flames right now. They'll be taking a morning skate in about 45 minutes. So we may have a little bit better of an idea then. Joe, is is Verona suffering more from this zone scheme to where the emphasis is on the defensive side because last year was so bad, or is it more he's suffering from being in a bottom six role rather than a top six role? You know, Alex, I think he's suffering because this team's trying to get back to becoming an offensive zone team. You know, Yaku Verona is, I mean, look, look at his tools. Look what he brings great to the game. He's fast, he's got a great shot, and he's creative off the rush. You know, last year, when they get him from Detroit, he had a ton of success. Why? Because we were a rush team last year. We, we were opportunistic, and we scored a ton on the rush. You know, this coming year, entering this year, one of the things Craig Ruby wanted to switch to or at least have more of a balance is to, yes, you can score off the rush, but we can't just lean on the rush. We have to have this ability to have offensive zone time. So I really think it's been a focus for Chief and the, and the coaching staff and all these players to re-identify themselves simply not as a rush team, but they have to have more of a balance. And they're really pushing offensive zone team right, or offensive zone time rather right now. You bring in Kevin Hayes, you bring in Oscar Sunquist. I think you bring in those big bodies because that's the style they want to get to. Now they're trying to get to that style, but of course, Yaku Verana, I think because of the tools I just mentioned, he's more of a rush guy. So that's where I think it's been a little bit of a divide or possibly a little bit of, let's just say, uh, hasn't quite uh, connected with him just yet. And sometimes it just needs a little reset. You, you watch the game. You see how it develops. You, you, uh, you, you develop a little bit of a burr on your saddle by maybe sitting out one. And then you come back in refreshed, ready to go, and maybe have some good communication with the coaches and figure out what you need to do from there. But I think the biggest reason why Yakub hasn't really shined in the regular season is because of the way that the Blues team is trying to play. Doesn't necessarily play to his strengths, but definitely the potential is there. Does this Blues team have the personnel to play the way that they want to, Joey? They do. Yeah, they, they do, BK. And I think that you're going to see some line shakeups tonight. We saw some line, some line work yesterday at practice. You know, for a while there, they had, you know, Kevin Hayes. Uh, he was with Sammy Blay and Torpchenko. 
Uh, I think that, or maybe it was, uh, I'm trying to think now, was it, oh no, it was Jake Neighbors as well. So I think that that bottom six is going to get shaken up here a little bit. I think that they're looking to get Kevin Hayes going. I think they have the personnel. I just don't think they have the right chemistry um, just yet. We saw a little bit of Hayes and Torbchenko uh, with Sammy Blay last game. Uh, the way that way it finished, they played a couple shifts together, and they actually had some really good offensive zone time. So, so to answer your question, they do have the personnel to do it. Uh, I just don't know if they found uh, essentially the, the right connections or the right groupings or the trios just yet. Uh, and this is why you, you play a season and it's a long season. Uh, this first 10-game segment, they're going to look to to try to find that here tonight. And, and I do think we're going to see a massive shakeup in, in the personnel and, and trying to find that chemistry because the bodies are the right bodies. It's just a matter about putting them with the right uh, gentlemen out there where it all works out. Joe, if, if we go down the hypothetical path, and, and we'll find out once the lines actually go in action, but if Perunovic does get in, what do you expect his role is? Well, I think that, you know, Scott Prunovich, um, what he does really well is he, he's a puck mover, and he's got to move the puck very well. You know, his power play time is going to be limited. Yeah, you'll probably see him on that second unit. Uh, but listen, I mean, the way some of these games are shaken out, uh, the, the, second, the second power play unit doesn't get much time. Even when the other team um, has penalties, which we saw in Winnipeg the other night, uh, you know, sometimes the second power play unit only goes out there 35, 40 seconds, maybe 25, 30, yeah. depending on how long that, that first unit can go. So I really wouldn't expect too much from him from a, a power play standpoint. Of course, with Tory Krug being on that top power play, I think they're going to keep that as is. So you look at five on five, and his, his minutes are going to be managed, especially if they end up going with 7D. So you have to go out there and you have to just manage the puck extremely well, and you got to make that simple play. I think for a young player like Scott, he's dealt with a lot of injuries. Um, he has his whole life. He's been very creative. He has loved making that fancy play. He's loved kind of making a move to get out of trouble. I think for a young player, Mike and Ryan, we used to talk about this all the time for a young player, you know, keep it simple. Kiss it, man. K I S S. Keep it simple. Stupid. Like just keep it simple. Move the puck, make that good. Just five, six foot pass. Get out of trouble. Get out of your zone uh, and retreat after 30 seconds. Get off the ice and just get reset for the next one. I think the more he does that, the more trust he'll earn, be earned from uh, Mike Weber, who's kind of running the lines and kind of getting a good scope on who's going and who's not. Because this team right now, one thing that's been consistent um, for the five games we've seen, there's been some defensive zone time where the Blues have spent a lot of time in the D zone. And I think that to have a defenseman back there that can anticipate very well, which Scott does very well for such a young kid, anticipates well, finds a puck, and is able to get up with that first pass to get this team out of trouble and out of the zone, uh, to me, that that would be a, a huge benefit and definitely a great expectation for, for him here tonight if, if he ends up getting in. As Michael Scott always said, Joe, keep it simple, stupid. Great advice, but it always hurts my feelings. It, it, it really does. He also said you, uh, he, he was quoted by saying you miss 100% of the shots you, uh, you never take, which he 100%. also quoted Wayne Gretzky, yeah. but that was also – he quoted the quote of yeah. Wayne Gretzky. But Michael Scott said it. That, yeah. That's the main point. Which is, which is true. Joe, appreciate the time, man. Looking forward to hearing you and Alex Ferrara on the pregame coverage from Calgary, Calgary Canada. Canada. That starts We're, at 7 o'clock. <laughs> Go get that We're Calgary gonna beef. Coming. We're going to be coming live, BK, tonight from Calgary Canada. Yeah, that's right. You get it. Joey understands the show. Appreciate you, Joe. See you, boys. Thanks. See you, buddy. Take it easy. That's uh, Joey Vitale joining us uh, here on 101 Get ESPN. that Calgary beef tonight. Dude, we, we you did so well in that first segment of not having a tone. Just that sigh pissed me off. <laughs> that's fair. Just that I sigh that. did it. So, can I tell you something that's kind of chapping my ass a little bit? And he whispered it in my ear while probably I'm trying go, to listen to Joe. You should probably go get chapstick then. 
I actually went and bought some this morning. Yeah, we'll put it on your rear end. So, <laughs> man, I wanted to say I wanted to say the other word, but I didn't know if I could. <laughs> FCC rules. Nah, you know. That's right. So if you're gonna play Scott Perunovich, just put him on the power play. Like yeah. If, if you're not, well, he will be. He'll be on the second unit. And you'll see him for 15 seconds. Because oh, <laughs> you know he's not gonna be good at five on five. Like, let's be honest. We know. We know what he is and what well, he's not. Technically, we don't know. He's only played like four <laughs> games. He's not playing right now in the first five games because he's not very good right now at five on five. Look, if he's a seventh defenseman, what they will use him with is offensive zone faceoffs. And as soon as the puck comes out of the zone, it's get play. on the bench. And power play. Yeah, but I mean, you're not going to put Perunovic on the power play over Tori Krug. <laughs> Why? <laughs> have you seen Kirk out there dominating the power no, play? No, we haven't. But the we haven't seen Perunovic either. They just got a goal. <laughs> Good for them. Jump. I can't believe it. He got a goal. He has to go. I'm not telling you that he needs to play 25 minutes tonight. Well, he, he won't. <laughs> <laughs> the only guy playing 25 minutes a night is Pareko and Falk. His entire value for you right now is helping you out of the power play. Frankly, I think that's part of what's gone wrong with Verona. You asked what, what's gone wrong. Is it that he's in the bottom six and the top six? Is it like the deep? I think it's he's not playing on the power play very much. Well, yeah. Put him on the first unit. I know you got to earn that, quote unquote, by your five on five time. But if you're going to try to get the most out of these guys that are offensive minded weapons, then put them in offensive-minded positions and the place that you can do that where it's a guarantee they're going to get offensive zone time for the most part, maybe not for this team, for most, is by putting them in on the power play. And for Scott Perunovich, you talked about giving him offensive zone face-offs. Well, that's one place. I'm totally with you. You absolutely should do that. The other place where you can do it is on the power play. And so, like, we don't know. They, they may end up putting him on the first unit going out into practice. I, I doubt it. I think Joey probably has a pretty good idea of what he's talking about here. It just chat me a little bit. Yeah, I, I could tell, buddy. The the main just mad they're losing, man. The, I know the main reason we've suffered through a lot these last six months. The main reason that you're you're throwing him in here is because you're trying to get your defenseman more involved on the offense. And Tyler Tucker has not been doing that. Bobby Bortz, let's go. Bobby Bo- Bobby Ortuzo, we like to call him here in St. Louis. So you're, I'm actually happy he's getting in there. He he's going to play the role that Tyler Tucker plays, just to be able to move the puck a little bit easier out of the zone. He and Marco Scandella are the size that Craig Brewery likes to have, and I think he's going to do. I, I hope that he gets in on the PK over Tory Kirk. And what <laughs> Bortuzo? Yes. Wow. Oh yeah, that's that's a good point. I thought you meant power play and I'm like, "Wait a minute. What will happen is you're going to have Perunovic on those offensive zone faceoffs to try and get more involved offensively, but then as soon as it goes the other way, it's going to be flipping him for the defensive guy. Scott, get off the ice. <laughs> That's what this is going to be. But you're hoping that he can get more puck possession. He can keep the puck alive in the offensive zone. And he can lead some rushes up the ice rather than missing out on well, that. They don't want to play that way, obviously. 3-1-4-3-9-9-9-6-4-6-0-cup-for-service-line. I hate both of you. You know what's funny? I actually think they're probably going to win this game. Oh, no. Well, no. if, because if nothing about it makes any sense to you me. Know, if there's one the team that's been hockey analyst, if there's one team that's been worse than the Blues this season, it's been this Calgary well, Flames hey, team. I hope if they're doing this in eleven and seven, and we've had all these conversations, they're doing like I, seven to two. Tonight. I don't, I don't see first off the ice is Joel Hofer. No offense to Hofer, well, he's playing. Uh, I guarantee tonight? you. Oh yeah, I'll guarantee you he's going to play this. Play one. Him tomorrow. Really? Yeah. Play him tomorrow. No, you're no. going to play him in this one, and you put Bennington in against Friday on on uh, Vancouver. Why? I shouldn't guarantee it. Wait, really? I I would <laughs> lean I would lean more towards Hofer playing in this one over Bennington. Might be why Calgary's favorite in this one. 
Could be. Minus but, but I could see the other side of this, too, because if you play Bennington in this one, then Hofer plays tomorrow and Bennington's off for like five days. But that's, that's why right. I would lean more towards Hofer playing in this one, because I don't think you want Bennington to be off for five straight days. You sit him in this one, you play Friday, you're off for three. Play and then back to back. Questions and answers next. Oh. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Okay, 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line no. for questions and answers. Let's start out with this from the 314. Guys, please give me an NFL trade that you think would change a team's Super Bowl odds. Is there any that immediately comes to mind? Um, I heard one earlier today, Alex, and I'm curious your thoughts on. Somebody said if the Ravens traded for Saquon Barkley, it would make them one of the Super Bowl favorites. This I year. saw that one, and then I saw the Ravens trade for uh, Daniil Hunter from the Vikings. Apparently, he's not available. Everybody should be yeah, available on that damn it, team. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that one though. The one that I saw with Saquon Barkley was to Miami, and Derrick Henry go to the Cleveland Browns, which that doesn't do anything for Cleveland because their quarterback's a little bit of a whiner, uh, but. I was going to go with a different word, but yeah. Well, I was too, but I can't say that on the radio. Saquon to Miami would be awesome. But I mean, look, you put any running game with the Baltimore Ravens, somebody who is like can eat all of the reps, you're in a good position. I would say Kirk Cousins to the Atlanta Falcons. You put a quarterback there, they win that division. There's a lot of teams. I think that if I said if I pluck Kirk Cousins and put him on there, like Cleveland would be one of those. If I put them on Atlanta, that'd be one. I honestly think New Orleans. I think Derek Carr's been terrible. Yeah. I think quarterback's one so of their bad. biggest issues. Well, now they might not I have I think he's Crystal. also hurt. I, I think what we're seeing right now, like, because oh, we we've seen again. a full, we've seen Derek Carr for what, a decade now? I don't think he's a bad quarterback. Yeah, and I think, I think he's super average. I, I think I've left one season going, well, that's right. <laughs> otherwise, it is like, which average. season was it? I, was the year he broke the year his that leg. he almost won the yeah. MVP, or he was in the running for the MVP. What I don't remember like, what 20, year that was. I don't even remember who his receivers were that year. They weren't good. Be fair, I don't know if I remember who. Amari Cooper. That's I right. Think, was yeah, there that he year? was still on that team. Yeah. yeah, I want to say it was Amari Cooper that was his number one guy that yeah. year. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service mm-hmm. text line from the three one four guys. Which team will have more shots on goal this weekend? Calgary. The Blues or St. Louis City SC? Hey, oh. City SC. They're too much of a defensive team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I honestly might agree. Oh with wait, that. no, I was being sarcastic. I think, <laughs> no, I think I, City probably has more shots on goal. <laughs> I mean, they would have to get like 20, which would be insane. But like they've beat the crap out of Sporting KC before. So I could yeah. totally see them putting it, 20 on goal. It, it's going to be the Blues because look, if they're doing a healthy scratch to a, a Yakub Verona tonight, if that's the route they go, like they are sending a a note to the team. Like, look, we're not messing around this season, guys. You need to start pursuing the puck and making some offensive anyway, opportunities. We're just going to see like a uh, conga line out of that press box. Joey said like five, six, four, which haven't been engaged. So like who goes up there tomorrow? Is it Robert's turn? Who would be the next one? Alex, you're a hockey expert. Alex, I wouldn't be up there. I'm always engaged on pregame. First community pregame, which starts at 7 o'clock tonight. Myself and Joe Vitale. Um, Man, that's probably... Prob- man, I... I he said five or six forwards. I didn't hear him say it. that. He did? Five yeah. or six? Well, I mean, if you're okay, going off, of, I, you want me to go? No, I, I, was don't say, you, I don't want to get you in trouble. No, no, no. If you're going off of who, why, who's going to get mad at me? If I'm going off of production, <laughs> it would be Robert Thomas. 
But like, you're not gonna sit your top centerman. Like, he's gonna have to fight less. You want to talk about a message sent to the team? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kevin Hayes guys might be one I of think them. For from my own eyes, and I am untrained, but my own eyes, guys that I think have underperformed relative to expectation in your forward group: Robert Thomas, Sammy Blay, Yakub Verana, Kevin Hayes. Uh, Are you looking at the plus minus and deciding this? Braden Shin, Pavel Buchnevich. Yeah. Well, I agree with all that. You're not sitting the captain. Booch has Booch has been injured, so I'm not worried I think about that Shin one. Shin is less so than the other guys that I said. Shin by does the way. a lot more. Hayes is one of them. But here's the thing: like for people that are angry about Hayes being slow, what did you expect? Like the Roadrunner to be on this team when they acquired him? Like yeah. this guy has never been fast. But watch him play. You can't get the puck away from him. His problem is his line mains aren't holding onto the puck. Well, he's got a lot of problems, but that's one of them. 99 problems, but that ain't one. Speed is one. 314-399-9646. Which is again, the he's never been fast. For questions and answers from the 314. Guys, if you could have the Cardinals make one trade this offseason, who would it be for? I... Julio Rodriguez from Ronald Acuna Jr. from the Atlanta Braves. We don't need an outfielder. Yeah, we no. don't. <laughs> no. We've got Jordan Walker. They don't yeah. need to trade for Ronald Acuna. Oh, good. No. In all seriousness, like who who is a guy that you think could actually be made oh, available? Well, so you didn't I should put have that made that question. No, fair point. That's on me. It's on you, man. Who is the guy that could be available this offseason that you would most like to see on the Cardinals next year? Um, mine would be a pitcher from Seattle or Miami, and I I can't give you a name because I don't know who's available, sure. but I have a feeling that. A lot of the top guys are available on both teams. It's one of those two. I would probably say glass now because of what it would cost. I, I think Cease is the name that I would throw up there, but I know I got to get rid of probably Gorman to get him. Unless the, unless the White Sox are truly saying this is a rebuild upon a rebuild, which I think they would take mostly prospects. If that's the case, okay, fine. I would say Cease. But if they say we want Gorman, I'd say no. I, I'd go get glass now. And I know that there is the chance that he only starts 15, 20 games, but he's dominant in those 15 to 20 games. And that's I, I love his stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> Very much like, so. Hey, if this works out for us, we've got an ace. Like full, yeah. like there is no questioning whether or not he has ace stuff when he's on the field. He's just not on the field very often. Luis Robert would be nice. That and be and I, I will say this too with the cease idea. I know a lot of people will look at his numbers and go, Ugh, look at what happened last year. I would go, can Dusty, can Dusty Blake fix him? And considering, and, and, and then the text line was like, uh, no. Yeah. But considering he I was able to help Steven Matz and Jordan Hicks get everything righted this year, I, I'm one of those that would feel more optimistic of if you brought Dylan C's here, the Cardinals could find something that they can unlock and get him back closer to that Cy Young caliber year. I think given the cost and given the potential, I would probably say Edward Cabrera would be my number one at this point. In terms of the trade targets, I'm assuming they go out to the free agency market and add the top two starters, and then Cabrera is the guy that's kind of the cherry on the top of the Sunday. I think Cabrera makes a lot of sense for this team in terms of what he can bring how he projects, the cost that it would be. I don't think it would be exorbitant. Uh, he's the guy that I think I'm circling. Brian Wu would be up there, same reasons, but um, if you could get Edward Cabrera for cheaper, I think that would be the guy that I would probably circle in this regard. You're just not in on Cabrera because he walks the world. It's fair. And that would be my one concern because that is something that I'm sure Miami has worked with Edward Cabrera on fixing. Sure. And it hasn't been fixed yet, and it's been three years. Yeah, it, it's a real concern. It is. Um, as a number five starter, though, the strikeout stuff, gets me excited 
you know, and you hope that he ends up getting a little better when it comes to the command. With Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, it is T-Bone's favorite segment of the week, a segment we like to call Believe It or oh, Not. Yeah. If you guys have any suggestions, get them in now on the Air Comfort Service text line at 314-399-9646. But coming up next, how do the Cardinals compare to these World Series teams? We're going to go position by position to talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. BK MLB.com put together an interesting list, Alex, overnight of the position by position breakdown on who they would take Rangers versus the um, Diamondbacks. Who, who's better at each position? You almost forget who the other team so was in the, World Series. in the World Series. I forgot they're there. <laughs> I don't blame you, buddy. I wanted to make this incorporate the Cardinals. Let's oh. go through position by position on where the Cardinals stack up against the Rangers and the who's the other team? Diamondbacks uh, who are currently playing in the World Series. You guys cool with that? No. Next segment. <laughs> Coming up next. <laughs> so let's go through this. Let's start with the catcher position. You got Jonah Heim for the Rangers. You got Gabriel Moreno for the Diamondbacks. Both of them are clearly worse offensively than what the Cardinals have with Wilson Contreras behind the plate. However, they are both also significantly better defensively than what the Cardinals have. Gabriel Moreno was a plus 20 this year in defensive runs saved for the Arizona Diamondbacks. You tell me that that's is, a joke of a stat. That is insane. To be that good defensively. Now, I do think that defensive run saved can be misleading. When it's that high, though, it tells you he's a great defender. Like, we can argue on semantics. He's a very good defensive player back there. How would you rank those three? Haim, Moreno, Contreras. Do you, or, or, let me ask that. How do you think the Cardinals compare oh, well, between <laughs> Contreras? Is, oh, how the card. Uh, I get what you're saying. I, I would have him in the middle. Like, I, I think I would put Moreno above Contreras just because, like, even though he's not as good offensively, he's still really good offensively. Um, and then you add that defense. I just, I don't know. I value the the type of hitter he is for the Cardinals. And so if I look at those three, I would much rather have a guy who's going to be in the middle of my batting order, and I know he's going to be a contributing factor who could carry my team, rather than somebody who I've got a stud defensively, but he's hitting eight or nine for sure. me. Yeah, I, I think I would probably value Contreras ahead of both of them, even though I am very much like on the side of his defense needs to be better. But he is a clear number four, number five hitter for you in your lineup. And when you saw him at his best this year, he's one of the best, if not the best, offensive catcher in the league. So I, I actually would side with him. I actually think the Cardinals, though, like if you ask them this question, they would probably go, yeah, he's third. And yeah. we got to look to improve upon that potentially. Yeah. Hence Yadier Molina being brought in. Exactly. Um, I... I think I would go Gabriel Moreno as my number one choice here because of what he does defensively, because I've really liked what I've seen from him offensively in the postseason. I know of the threes, probably he was the worst hitter this season during the regular season. I think if you're just talking now and long term, I think Gabriel Moreno would be number one for me. But I think this is it's mostly a wash. It just depends on what what your flavor of ice cream is. Do you like chocolate? Do you like vanilla? Do you like Neapolitan? Uh, Depending on what you like, you're going to choose a different guy in this regard. First base, Goldie, Lau, Walker. Uh, These are all really good players. I would personally go still Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, I I don't know if any of those other two guys are MVP caliber players, and I know Paul Goldschmidt is an MVP caliber player. 100% with you guys sweeping. We don't have to spend much time there. All right, Gorman, Simeon, and Marte is the second base spot. This is maybe the most interesting of them. (sighs) 
This is tough. I would take Marte first because he's just so versatile and you could use him everywhere. And he, he's a power hitter. He's a contact hitter. He's fast. I would take Marte first. I would take Gorman over Simeon, though. See, that's funny because I would actually go Simeon as my top option between these three because of how great he is defensively. He's and old. he's also a really good player um, offensively as well. He's old. He is, definitely. Long term, if you were asking me which of these guys would you rather have on your, on your team Still for the would next take five. Marte. For me, I would take Gorman one in that regard. But if I'm talking about just for this year or next, I would probably take Simeon. Yeah, I would too. I mean, he's a guy that's consistent for the most part. And when you look at Marte, Marte has not been very consistent. And he deals with injuries in his past as well. I would probably go Simeon one. And that guy can play, I mean, the last three years, 162 games, 161 games, 162 games. Like, he plays every single day. So I would probably take him one. And I would probably go Gorman two. Uh, Shortstop, win versus Seager and Perdomo. This is pretty easy, guys. Yeah, this is Seager. And frankly, I think I would take... Who do you put it to, though? I would take Perdomo. Because I wonder if, like, you would hope that win could become Perdomo. Yeah. Because Perdomo's very good defensively. But his bat, I mean, he got off to a hot start and made an all-star game, but he really tailed off in the second half. Yeah, I, I think that's probably mostly a wash. It depends on what you think the upside is for Win. If you think Mason Wynn's going to hit for power at the major league level, then you probably take Win. If you don't, then I could see it being basically that they're one and the same. Yeah, um, and, and I, I would put Perdomo just because I don't know if Wynn's going to be able to hit for power, sure. and I know for a fact that Perdomo just had a two fifty batting average this season. Third base. Josh Young, who's been really good for the Rangers this season. Longoria is kind of like the fill-in there. They go with a couple of different guys with the Diamondbacks at third. And then Nolan Arenado. Guys, I know it was a down year. I'm taking Nolan Arenado. Yeah, I'm taking Nolan Arenado. Same. Uh, outfield. Let's go Let's go left field first. Newpar, Evan Carter, and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. This is an interesting one. I think I would go Evan Carter as my top choice here. i got to look up Evan Carter. I haven't he, seen much of him other than these playoffs. He's really 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 good he's also very young he would probably be my top choice here but if you wanted to go with the second choice i would probably go newt bar over guriel go ahead t-bone i i would actually probably lean newt bar over both of them wow okay just because like i mean yeah evan white's it's a small been, sample size. carter's been very small good he had 75 plate appearances mm-hmm. so like this could just be one of those where it was a rookie that came up got really hot and then we don't know about next year I would probably lean towards Newpar. It's also batting 300 with an OPS over yeah. 900 yeah. in the postseason as well. I think I would go Newpar 1, Carter 2, and Guriel 3. Sure. I like the pop of Guriel, but I hope that Newpar... He's Bar- a clear third. Yeah, I, yeah. I hope Newpar can provide me what Guriel does with a better batting average. And Evan Carter, it's just I, I haven't seen it for more than one year. Centerfield, Edmund versus Thomas and Tavares. I think these are all three basically the same. Yeah. They're, they're all yeah. defensive-minded centerfielders. I actually think I would probably go with Edmund because he is a better bat than either Thomas or Tavares long-term. He's so inconsistent, though, but I mean, all of these guys are. And I would give the edge to... I would give the edge to a couple of these guys above Edmund just because of the defense. Like, I know he looked good out in, in center field, but we've talked about, like, the arm with these center fielders. Sure. And I just think the way that they, they played the position a lot longer, so I would probably have Edmund third. I think I would... Probably go Edmund third as well. I could hear the argument for second. I probably would take Tavares first. I, uh, I Tavares think he's is got, the one. I think he's the better defender overall. And he not only can he track down baseballs, but he's got an arm as well. So. You guys know I love me some Alec Thomas, so I'm not going to argue with you there whatsoever. Uh, outfielder in right. Oof. Don't say it. Don't say it. Jordan Walker, Adolis Garcia, Corbin Carroll. Corbin Carroll is clear cut the number one option here. What? The former Cardinal is clear cut number one. Who would you go to? I think I would do Adolis. Like, I, I love Jordan Walker, but 
I mean, this guy, it's not like this is just the first year where we're seeing Adolis Garcia do this. Like, we're first time we're seeing him do it on this stage, but this has been three straight years where this guy just continues to mash. And I know Jordan Walker could be this guy, but, like, if you're asking me right now, I'm going to go with the sure thing. Am I a complete homer if I say I would take Jordan Walker? He's not as good defensively, but I think next year, offensively, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Jordan Walker next is better. Next year, my opinion could be changed if I, if I see it. Like, if see, you're telling I, me right now, for next year, who would you rather have, Adolis Garcia or Jordan Walker? I think I'm taking Jordan Walker. And that's even if the the contract ended next year for both of them, I, I think I would take Walker. The I, defense, though, is a real factor in favor of Adolis Garcia. Yeah, and I don't know if he'll if Walker will ever mold into being. I mean, he had what thirty nine home runs this year. Like, I don't know if Walker will ever mold. But into Walker being a also is going to have a much better batting average and on base percentage. But until I Fair. see it, I can't take that right now. I, he already has a better batting average and on base percentage. Yeah, I the one I'm actually shocked that you were so candid and with Carol. Corbin Carroll. I was because too. Oh, Car- Carroll is definitely better than Adolis I, Garcia. See, Oh, no, that part I agree with. I was with Walker because I think Corbin Carroll, like outside of the stolen bases, I I mean, I could, would it shock you if I said 25 homers, 76 RBIs, and an 868 OPS for Walker next year? I mean, no, but I just watched Carroll do that. He hit 25 I, homers fair. as a rookie and was one of the best players in baseball. By the way, he's also excellent defensively, and you, we – kind of moved over this, but also stole 55 bases. I know. I said that's the thing that separates him. Yeah, I think everything separates him. I think he's one of the 10 best players in the sport already. I would take oh, Corbin I, Carroll I think Walker quickly. can get close to closing that gap on Carroll. Like, if you that's think how that, then I'm taking Walker like over just about everybody else that we've talked about so yeah, far. I, I mean, I, I think right now, yes, the answer would be he's probably third. But again, if we said like in the next five years, I don't think it's that much. The, the stolen bases are the wow. biggest difference between Carroll and Walker. But I think the defense is going to get there for Walker. Not so much to the level of Carroll, so yes, I would agree with that. But I don't think it's going to be as but we're taking lopsided right as it right now. I know, but I said projecting. in five years. I'm projecting five years. Okay, right now. Five, five years from now. Well, five I years would, from now, I think all of my answers are probably going to change. Sure. But if we're if we're doing that five years from now, that I would then say I would, it would be Carroll, Walker, and then Garcia. Oh, see, I would go Walker, Carroll, Garcia. Because I think Walker can do what Carroll did in terms of the base dealing and the defense, and yeah. I think he's got more power. I, I think we're underselling how amazing Corbin Carroll is man he's so good I think he's good I, don't get me wrong I think he's good I, think I Walker I'm, is too though I'm very confident that Jordan Walker can really close this gap on I Corbin think Corbin Carroll. Carroll could win the MVP next year is what I'm saying like I, I think he is I think Corbin Carroll was in the running for MVP this year at one point and then it just it, it fell off a bit offensively he was still like 30 percent above average I, I think the I think that offense can be Jordan Walker though I think there was so much focus Maybe. from him of being a good defender and fixing his issues why do you hate Walker man like come on I well, love Jordan he Walker picked him and he was the That's, homer I, I think Jordan Walker I would have him over Adolis Garcia but <laughs> but that right now I think is what we're, we're talking overselling about. what Adolis Garcia did this year overall he I, had 40 damn home runs I know and we're talking about it with Nolan Gorman of what does that mean like if you're homer 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 strikeout 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 don't ever walk yeah, but don't 20, have a high on base percentage don't have a good batting average like I do think there is real value in what he's doing but Garcia got to 40 home runs multiple times where Gorman has gotten what to 25 sure if you're striking out 33 percent of the time you have to hit 40 home runs to make up for that and if you don't if there's any regression whatsoever in his power next year he is going to come back down to earth in a huge way. Again, 
I really like Adolis Garcia. I think he's a great player. We're talking about three guys that are amazing in this category right here in right field. Like, if you told me I can have Adolis Garcia or Evan Carter, Lourdes Gariel, Newt, Edmund, Thomas, Tavares, I'm taking Garcia over all of those other outfielders that we've discussed so far. In this category, though, when I'm having to put him up against a guy that I think could win the MVP next year in Corbin Carroll, a guy that we've talked about could eventually win an MVP in Jordan Walker, I'm having Adolis Garcia third. I agree list. with that. I do agree with that. I I was just a little shocked by the Carroll's by far clearer, better than Walker. Now, I, I get it this year. But and I'm talking about right now. Yeah, I, I, that's I what I was doing right it based now. on. I, I was looking more so like I understand we were looking at the right now, but I think it I think there is a chance that Walker really closes that gap, and I think it starts next year. That'd be huge for the Cardinals. Because I think defensively he is going to be better next year. I think he is going to be, at minimum, an average right fielder. And if that's the case... His bat, I think, is going to propel himself up. I, I I wouldn't be shocked if he's hitting in the top five of the lineup at some point next year because he earns the right to be doing it. I mean, his and his power, I think, is going to come more so to where he could hit 25 home runs next year. All right, and the final thing here, DH. Donovan versus Garver and Fan. We're all on Garver, right? Yeah. He's the best hitter of this bunch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would have Donovan second. He's clearly Agreed. over Tommy Fan, but uh, I would have Garver at number one on this list. We have the Cardinals with four. We have the Rangers with three. And we have the Diamondbacks with two. Cardinals match up head to head with these teams that are playing now in the let's World do Series pitching. when it comes to their lineup. <laughs> that is why we talk so much about what they can do this offseason when it comes to their pitching. And by the way, one of those that we didn't pick for the Cardinals was second base, and that is where you have Nolan Gorman right now. Gorman, though, is is not far behind those other guys. He is not at the same level as Marcus Simeon or Cattell Marte, but the fact that you have somebody that can be in the conversation with those guys matters, and that is why I would not want to trade him going into this I think we did this all wrong. How does Contreras compare against those DHs? How does Kisner compare against those catchers? And how does Buddy Kennedy compare to those second basemen? Because we're trading Gorman. Coming up next, let's play Just a game of Believe It or it. Not. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm a bond. This is feels good. I'm feeling it today. I boys. was jamming to this song my way back from right. my road trip yesterday. Just sing. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Oh, yeah. Believe uh-huh. it or not, it's just me. Oh. Alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK3143999646 is the air comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we are believing it or not here on 101 ESPN. Alex, let's start with this. Believe it or not, Yakub Verana is on the blues by the end of the season. Not. I'm sorry. He said, Alex, let's start with this. Sorry. It was one of those that was so obvious I had to jump in. He's not on it. They'll trade him. Um, You got to hope that he performs well for you to move him, but I... It's if you're competing for one of those final playoff spots, you'll view this as well. We could get an asset for Yakub Verana, and then we've got other options that can come in and play a third line winger role that we have him in. 
Um, and the best case scenario is he plays like somebody who you could get a second round, first round draft pick for. And then you tell a Bullduke who has success in the AHL or a Snuggerud after college, you got to roll on our NHL roster. So I'm not believing or I'm believing this one. Wait, he said he was. It doesn't going. matter. He's not going to be on the roster. Yeah, not going to be on the roster at the end. Are you year. sure? I, I will say this. Don't we think Bolduc's kind of Verona type, yeah. right? Offensive minded, like. But it's a why? young player playing on a third line role. Okay, but like, I need him to be playing offensive minded, and we're just saying go block shots, bud. Like, yeah. I, I'm starting to really raise concerns with the way things are going here and the way the personnel is being used. How long did it take him to figure out the role for Hoffman? Basically, until about game 55. Look, Dom. Once you care, Hoffman was just a bad yeah, hockey Hoffman player. Hoffman was we, awful. We learned Fair, that afterwards. but it took them forever to finally go, you know what? Top power no, play they for knew, Mike Hoffman. They knew he was awful in every sense. They were just bad, and they said, well, we got to start scoring somehow, and our power play's not working, so let's put Hoffman up there. Easy, Dom. Keep your analytics to yourself. I, I All I'm saying is right now they're looking like the team I thought they would be. By the way, I want to say this. I'm starting to distance myself from the nerds. I'm getting annoyed. by Analytics? Are oh, they going too far? They've gone too far. <laughs> These numbers are getting out of hand. Did you guys see the latest one from ESPN yesterday? This is an aside, but they've put out this new model for mm. wide receivers where they're trying to tell you that Tyreek Hill doesn't get open very often and isn't very good after the catch. You, All right, I'm you, done. You That's enough for me. You complained about this yesterday. <laughs> they, the guy doubled down. He said Tyreek Hill's not a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL, the one that put this out for ESPN. And I said, you, sir, need to stop. You're making yourself look worse. All right, Alex, what do you got? Uh, believe it or not, fellas, I'm going to go to a city question here. Believe it or not, city loses one match against KC. No. Now, I'm not up to date with MLS playoff format. You're it's right. They are three games. Yeah. Yes. Best of three. Best, Best three. of three. Okay. I'm not going to believe this either. I, I think I think they sweep Kansas City. I They are just clearly a better team, in my opinion. I know Kansas City is the team that got hot and got into the playoffs. I... St. Louis City SC knows what they need to do and knows how to get the job done. So I think they sweep Sporting KC. I'm not really even concerned about Agreed. it. I think this is, by the way, best case scenario for MLS and for St. Louis. For them to have the season that they did and then to get into the playoffs hosting this, this series and to play against Sporting KC, where you do have this natural geographical rivalry that can now start to bud, that's pretty cool, man. That, that's good for everybody involved. And I also think City's just going to romp them in this series. So romp them. I, it would they be won a, two out of the three games. And both of the games that they won, they won handily. It was like four to one, I think, at both games. Both both matches, yeah. excuse me. I, Soccer people get mad. By the way, if, if they somehow <laughs> lose this series, it would it would become a disappointment. Yeah. Like a huge disappointment. The season would have been a success, but the way that it yeah. ended absolutely would have been disappointing. Yeah. Uh, guys, believe it or not. We just did the comparing the positions of the World Series teams to the Cardinals. Believe it or not, the Cardinals rotation will be viewed better than the Rangers and the Diamondbacks next year. Not better than the Rangers. Not better than the I Diamondbacks. Think it could be better than the Diamondbacks. Not what, not what I've seen with uh, our boy Fat and Merrill and Kelly. <laughs> or not Merrill and Kelly. Merrill, Kelly, and Zach Allen. Yeah, how did you mess up every single one of the names that you just said? Uh, guess, oh, <laughs> oh, for three. No, I got Zach Allen, right? I just said Marilyn Kelly. Him yeah, it was Marilyn Kelly. I got Fat Marilyn Kelly. <laughs> what a great law firm, Fat by the Merrill way. Fat doesn't play for a man. Fat Marilyn Kelly. That, that, those, those three. <laughs> is this another LLC? Yeah, it's a great Fat LLC. Hold on. I got to change my fantasy football team name again to Fat. I feel like that's a restaurant down Kelly. in New Orleans. Fat Marilyn Kelly. Yep. yep. LLC. <laughs> but they've got an apostrophe S at the end. Fat Maryland Kelly. But you're not going to outperform Fat Merrill Kelly. You're not doing it. You're not doing it. 
I know, it's fought. I just like it. I like it. It's also Merrill Kelly, one person. I know it's Merrill Kelly, damn it! And then Zach and Galen. 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 Who would you rather have? Galen! Ah, never mind. I just remembered they're going to get DeGrom back. Yeah, I'm not going to believe this. <laughs> uh, at first, I was like, who would you rather have in the regular DeGrom season? DeGrom and Scherzer. And you're like, hey, good I, run. No, man. No, I, I don't think so. On top of having John Gray and Nate Evaldi, like, oh, yeah. Um, I was going to say, I, like, who would you rather have? Gonna be... Go ahead. That's who would you rather have in the regular season? Brandon Fox. Jordan Montgomery, Nathan Evaldi, or Aaron Nola, Sonny Gray? I don't know if Montgomery's going to be there, but... Um... I think I think there's a chance he resigns there. Maybe. That's why have I have to resign him because if he of does, he's going to be their number five starter. That's amazing. So yeah. who would I rather have? Degrom and Montgomery versus who? No, Montgomery and Avaldi versus Nola and Gray. I think it's a push. Yeah, I was going to say I'd go push. Probably Nola and Gray. Like if I was going to lean one direction or the other, probably Nola Gray. My worry with Jordan Montgomery is he's throwing everything at this season because you know you're going to get paid and then it falls apart. But this is the same guy he's been for two years now. I I think Montgomery is a really good number two. Like I I don't view Montgomery all that dissimilar to the way that I view Sonny Gray. If he's the number one starter on your team, you probably need to upgrade. If he's the number two guy, though, I think we've seen that's fine. You can get to the World Series clearly with him as your second best starter in the rotation. I just I don't know that it's going to be something that the Cardinals consider at this point because they want to change. So if I can have the equivalent of that, which I view Sonny Gray as, go get him. Tebow, you could just win. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. (laughs) Believe It or Not, Tori Krug gets his first point of the season tonight. YOLO, I'll believe it. It'll be on the power play. Nah, no. I'm... I'm as low as low can be on this blue stick. He'll get it on the penalty yeah, kill. No, buddy. No. What? Hopefully he's not playing the penalty. Portuzo's <laughs> in, man. He ain't playing the penalty kill. <laughs> what? Scandella and Tucker. Tucker, Tucker have been playing. And yeah, because they... they'd rather have Krug out there than Tucker. The Bortuzzo's in for Tucker. I think you'd rather have Bortuzzo over Tory Krug on your penalty kill. That's fair. Uh, hey, I'll give it to I'll give credit to Tory Krug, man. He's been blocking shots on the penalty kill. 3143999646 is the air comfort yeah. service text line for believe it or not. Believe it or not, Ryan Wingo still ends up at Mizzou. Nah. Not. Yeah, not. The same happened. Next Move question. on. Believe it or not, the Detroit Lions finish no lower than second place in the NFC. They finish as a top two seed in the NFC this year. I'll believe this one. I think uh, it's going to be a race between them, the 49ers and the Philadelphia Eagles. And after what we just saw with the Niners, it makes you wonder like, okay, now we're starting to see a little bit more of a reality with Brock Purdy. So I'll believe this one. I think Detroit will take what happened against them in Baltimore and use that as motivation the rest of the way. Looking forward to this Bengals matchup this weekend for the 49ers against Sam Darnold. So that way the Bengals can start their ascent up the AFC North standings. Yeah. Did you just say Sam Darnold? Yeah. He's starting this weekend. Trey Lance concussion. And you're just Trey Lance. Not Trey Lance, sorry, Brock Purdy. (laughs) Another glitch for you. (laughs) We've all had our moments today, boys. I haven't. (laughs) Fat Merrill Kelly. (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to believe this, though. I I still think San Fran and Philly are clearly the two best teams. Because if Detroit was a top two team in the NFC, and granted, that's not saying much because there's probably just two really good teams in the NFC. You don't lay the egg you did at Baltimore. I, I think part of the issue with the Purdy interceptions was I, I think he may have had the concussion last week when he threw those two picks. And I, I think he was two now said that he yeah, was. Yeah. So I, I think you gotta you gotta look into that and say, okay, that's probably that's what happened there. Where'd the spotter go on that one if he Dude, threw I, those I two picks? I don't know how they missed picks. that. Yeah. That's did embarrassing. You, have you guys seen the play where it happened? Yeah. It was-
good mm-hmm. um, quarterback sneak play where he gets rocked in the head. I, I don't know how they missed that. For, how many, bad for how many for spotters pull guys out that like it's it's pretty obvious that they're fine? And how do you look much better, walk? by the way? They deserve credit for the fact that they've been pretty good. The you NFL has to be aggressive on this in, in recent the last couple of years, I would say. Basically, since the Tua saga, they've been better about this and they needed to be. For them to miss that one is a, a really big whiff by the league. Yeah, yeah so I, I still believe those San Fran and Detroit are clearly, or not Detroit, San Fran and Philly are the two best teams in the NFC. I agree. Um, I, I'll say not believing this because I, I mean, Detroit also laid an egg last week. Like we talk about how the 49ers didn't look good in their performance. Now, Detroit did it against a better team, but they got shellacked in that game. And it does leave you wondering, like, Hey, when they go on the road this year at Chicago or at Dallas, are they going to look bad? Because that's what happened. They go on the road and their offense didn't look very good against Tampa for most of that game. They go on the road and their offense didn't look very good against Baltimore. Is that going to happen again as they go on the road later on this year? 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for getting involved in the show. You guys can watch us on YouTube at 101 ESPN STL. The YouTube cams are presented by the Air Alliance team. What does it mean for the Blues if we end up being wrong about Jakub Verano? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm BK. So it sounds like the Blues are either going to be putting Yakub Verana up in the press box tonight or he'll be on the fourth line. I don't think he's going to be playing fourth line minutes for you. So my assumption is Yakub Verana is probably not going to take the ice today for the Blues. Alex, they're doing that for a reason. It's not as if the Blues are just like, ah, we don't think Yakub Verana is any good. He was, he was playing top six, top nine minutes for them earlier this season. They want him to be a part of what they're trying to accomplish this year. They just want him to play a little better. Now, I can have differing opinions on how I feel he's playing versus how the team is viewing it, but that doesn't really matter. It's their perspective, and they're telling us with their actions how they feel about it. Here is what I think is an important question to ask at this point, Alex. What happens if everybody was just wrong on Verona, and he doesn't fit, he's not the offensive contributor that we all expected him to be, and he ends up being somebody that maybe by the deadline is not even here. Maybe he gets waived, maybe he gets traded, whatever you think is going to happen. What does that mean for this Blues team? That you're, that ends up being the case. That you're searching for somebody to score 20 or more goals for you because that's what I would envision the Blues were projecting from a Yakub Verana. Somewhere between 15 and 20 goals as a top nine forward and somebody who could be on the power play who steps up in that role. Does Jake Neighbor step up into that role? Does Zachary Boldu come in and become that player for the Blues? That This whole team is built around group offense. It's not built around the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Edmonton Oilers that if you don't have your top two guys scoring, then you're done. Like As much as we want Kyru and Thomas to be the top scorers, they're planning on 20 goals from Brandon Saad. They're planning on 15 to 20 goals from Braden Shen. And the same can be said all the way down to your bottom, bottom or your third pair. So if Yakub Verana is a guy that isn't going to be a 20 goal scorer for you, now somebody else has to step up into that role. The group mentality, the pack mentality, somebody has to up their game to take those numbers on rather than Yakub Verana. Yeah, I, I think you're searching for a 20-goal score this year that, that can fill that role for Yakub Verana. 
I just don't know if you have that guy on the roster, or I don't think you have the guy on the roster because I don't know how right much. Right really, you don't. I don't think it really impacts you much long term because I think the whole plan was this was kind of a rental twenty goal sure. scorer. I so I'm not sure there's much of a okay. This impacts a team two three years from now, but this year it really changes the outlook of this team because I I thought they were going to get back to that pack mentality six seven twenty goal scores and now if you pluck Verona's name from that not only does it mean that one you're missing out one of those twenty goal scores but it means that third line as a whole has now kind of become up a question in the air of okay well I thought Hayes and whether it be Neighbors or Blay were going to get their points why because they potentially had Verona out there helping them out offensively and now that whole third line just becomes a major question mark for the St Louis Blues I mean it eliminates your depth of scoring on that third line yeah. If he's not going to be the goal scorer, you're relying is? on Jake Neighbors. And you're once again putting him into a situation that is kind of unfair to him. Now, I think Jake Neighbors played really well this year. And I think Jake Neighbors is, fits that role perfectly of a third line winger who can score you 15 goals in a season. Maybe. But Just don't ask him to be more right now. Yeah. And you're also relying on somebody else to be a driving force with that line. You'd have to have Kevin Hayes become something that he hasn't been so far yeah and maybe he can be maybe it is what joey said earlier where it was a bad bad combination the chemistry wasn't there and it just it for whatever reason wasn't working and maybe with jake neighbors being a part of that line that changes things and it opens things up for kevin hayes he becomes more of the player that they thought he was going to be and uh, it's all hunky-dory right but man if you don't have ron on that line now in my bottom six when those guys are out on the ice i it becomes really hard for them to score yeah. in any sort of a consistent manner. Your top sticks still has guys that can go out there and, you know, Brandon Saw is going to get you 20 to 25 goals. He does every year. Robert Thomas, he, I don't think he's played particularly well so far this year. He's going to get you 15 to 20. Jordan Kyra is going to get you 25 plus. You're going to get 25 plus from Buchnevich. I think Shinner is going to get to 20 by the end of the year. Capitan probably around 15-ish, something like that. Your top six, fine. You needed that third line to produce. And last year, that was an issue for this team as they didn't get the depth of scoring the way that we all thought they would. This year, I thought Hayes and Verona could change that. What we have seen so far, it's early, only five games. I get all of that. But the Blues are clearly responding, so I think it's fair for us to respond at this point. It does make me wonder if that's going to be there. And if it's not, I think it compl- it, it it eliminates the ceiling that yeah. we thought existed for this offense. It also changes what I think could be possible for the power play because now your second unit... yeah. Your power play is I mean, who, who's really on your it. power play is lucky to be in the top half of the league because you're relying on your number one unit to be all the offense. I think it's important to look at it, too, to where like Yacoub Verano was never supposed to be the permanent answer for this offensive change. Like you brought him in and hope that you could catch lightning in a bottle for a season and say, well, he's going to be a free agent sooner rather than later. And we hope that he goes into that free agency. My God, man. Throwing muffs at Throwing her. muffs at That me. was the worst Stop pass. Throw a muff I at hope me. that the cameras caught that because that was the single worst pass yes. anybody has ever thrown. That was, I was basically Carson Wentz over here like, oh no, the, the defense is coming. Just, Carson Wentz? My God, you look like bad. Zach Wilson out here. Yeah, Hit was, me in the that face. Was really bad. That was the butt fumble moment. Um, but I was impressed by how well you I were able made to it keep through. yourself on the rails and then eventually it just... Yeah, I almost made it through. But look, like Yacoub Verana was supposed to be the guy that they said, okay, well, he's going to be going into a contract year. It didn't work in Detroit. Let's see if he can go out there and be motivated. He's always been a placeholder for either Zachary Bolduke or Jimmy Snuggeroo to take that spot. This is why the three-year plan that was put in place by Doug Armstrong, you can't change that three-year 
time frame and sure. say like, oh, well, now they're going to be this offense. No, like they're planning on Snuggerud being in that spot or well, see, Bolduc being I, in that I'm spot. I'm glad you mentioned Bolduc's name because though I, I took this as, okay, we're talking Vrana, what happens here on this third line, and I think this just impacts this year than it does next year in two years, three years from here. I mean, I think Bolduc, I mentioned this in Believe It or Not, I think Bolduc is going to, if you're talking about what what do I envision Bolduc being, it's what I thought Vrana could be this year. And if they can't make it work with Vrana right now, with the system that they're playing in. It comes down to the player, though. The player's commitment to the system. Vrana, if he's not, and this is why they're scratching him tonight. The team bending a little bit to the player to be able to get the most out of that Maybe, but I mean, you saw the bend with Zachary Bolduc. It was, you're not ready for the NHL. Go back to juniors and fix your two-way game. So here's the thing that I will... I'm sure I'm going to get pushback from multiple different people, whether on text line or people that uh, that'll talk about this later. But listen, man, it, it, there there is starting to become a theme that is existing with the Blues. Now we can talk about each individual situation, and I can easily explain it away. Seriously, I, I can. But I do think it is worth noting at this point that there's a style of player that doesn't seem to be working in St. Louis. They don't seem to be able to extract the most out of that player here in St. Louis in recent years. Defensively, that is a puck-moving defenseman. For whatever reason, they don't seem to be able, or they haven't been getting the most out of those guys. Guys that have either gone on to play better elsewhere or were better prior to coming here and then come here and have struggles. Just to clarify on it, the offensive-minded defenseman. Like, because they've got puck-moving defensemen, it's just they're not offensive-minded like Wallman and Vince Dunnar. And Tory Krug. Yeah. Um, I, I think you can continue. I, but see, like, Tory Krug had success in the system. Like, we're acting like he, he doesn't have success. Like his first, from day one didn't like Tory Krug. Fine, but his first two years here, he was a guy who was putting up 50 points for you. And then injuries took over. Like, he was a guy in the first two seasons where we are like, okay, he's doing exactly what you brought him here to do. I don't know that that was the theme that was shared by most Blues fans at all. Um, I, I think most Blues fans were disappointed by what he was. Because you were expecting him to fill the role of Alex Petrangelo. And there's a difference in terms of being disappointed in what happened compared to being disappointed with your expectations. Tory Krug did exactly what you brought him to do. I agree with you. I've always been somebody that was higher on Tory Krug than most. That being said, I I think the point production A wasn't as good here as it was in Boston and B I think it's fair to say that it was not quite what people were expecting but either way Krug Wallman Dunn these are guys Perunovic Letty that have had success elsewhere either before or after that haven't had the same amount of success to varying degrees while they're here forwards guys that have either had success prior to coming here or are having success elsewhere some of them and right now guys that are currently on the roster don't seem to be having the same amount of success or aren't playing their style while they're here or are criticized because they are playing more of a finesse game, I guess you could say, while they're here. It's something that is worth monitoring because if this continues to be a trend moving forward, man, you have to have these guys on your team. You do. You look at any team that wins, they've got some of these guys. You can't build your roster around all of them. But you have to be able to find ways to incorporate these players into your roster and have success with them. We all wanted William Nylander. William Nylander, if he plays the way that he does up in Toronto, man, he ain't fitting into what you're trying to do right now. So it it is something that I've got my eye on of, okay, can they use these guys? Can they win with those types of players long term? I, I don't know the correct answer to that. So you're asking the right question. And from the 636, this is where I have a problem with it. It says, Barubi alienates skilled players. He wants everyone to play like a fourth liner. No, he doesn't. Guys, listen to what Craig Barubi told the fast lane yesterday. What he wants 
is puck possession in the offensive zone. He's not asking guys to go out there and hit everything and be physical and throw the gloves around. He's asking guys to put the puck in the corners in the offensive zone, have puck support where two guys are winning puck battles and move the puck around, spread the ice. He's not asking for for Cairo and Thomas to be fourth line players. He's not wanting Cairo to be Oscar Sundquist. He's wanting the same way that Sundquist plays in terms of go win puck battles that Thomas and Cairo do it. The problem that Craig Berube is finding, and the same texture said, fire Berube and give Steve Ott a shot for the rest of the season. See, I don't think that's Guys, Steve Ott does the exact same system as Craig Berube. Steve Ott works with the forwards. This is not about being physical. And And I'm not saying anybody should be fired. No, I'm talking about this text. I do think that there comes a point in time where we have to acknowledge kind of some of the, the trends that are taking place and wonder aloud, why is this? And I'm not saying it's Baruby's fault. Maybe these players, for whatever reason, while they're here, just didn't have it right in their head. Vince Dunn has talked about that publicly, where it something clicked after he left, and he needed that. He needed to get a fresh start somewhere Same else. with Jake Wallman. Jake Wallman probably needed a fresh start somewhere else. However, could I also make the argument that why weren't we able to find that here? Could there have been something that was done to extract it here? Was there a system that wasn't working for the player? Was there a conversation that could have taken place? I don't, again, I don't know the answers to any of these questions, but if we continue moving forward and guys like Yakub Verana or Jordan Cairo or whoever, Mike Hoffman, who I, I never thought was a particularly good fit and player, we talked about that all the time. When yeah, he was I think here. that was a completely different problem. If these guys come here and do not have success, it is fair to question why. It is fair to question what has gone wrong. That doesn't mean you should fire the coach immediately and we have to fling all of the criticism to the nth degree at these guys. But it's fair to wonder, what's going on here? Why is this happening? My hope, they said Yakub Verana tonight, he ends up being great tomorrow. And it allows him to see the game for a different perspective, whatever it is. But if this continues and they end up being bad this year and they went to a completely different system, they are focusing much more on the four check and they are focusing much more defensively. Did they go too far in the wrong, in, in the other direction? Did they overcorrect compared to what they were seeing last year? Because at the end of the season, Joey said it earlier, they are winning off of the rush, getting fewer rush opportunities this year. And when they do, they're not sustaining it, which they What's had going on. They had those rush opportunities against Calgary. They had those rush opportunities. First period, if they score on two of their four rush opportunities, you're talking about a different game. It's it's more about finishing when you get those chances than it is, oh, well, the the, the coaching staff is alienating skilled players. Again, I think Hyrus played really well this year. So that is a point in the direction of Craig Brewery, frankly, that he has seemingly found a way to get the most out of him. It's all of these other things that I... It's a guy that's on the third line that we thought was going to be more. Yeah, and, and it might just be as simple as... Hey, Dunn wasn't ready. Mentally, he wasn't in the right place. Jake Wallman wasn't ready. Mentally, wasn't in the right place. Uh, Hoffman stunk. And Yakub Verana, we thought was going to be good. He might not be. Yeah. And on the defensive side, I mean, there is some some truth to the coaching side of it. I mean, look at what Tory Krug's comments were and Nick Letty's comments were to Matt DeFranks in the Post-Dispatch article. Like, this is a scheme I've played my entire career, and I'm comfortable with it. Guys, both players went somewhere that plays more in the zone-style defense, that plays where they try and create rush scoring chances. And there are other times where certain players just don't reach their potential with the team that they're on. Somebody on the text line asked what I think is a fair question. Question from the 314. Guys, we added nothing of value to our offense this offseason. Signed some guys that were waived by other teams or were no longer wanted by other teams, and we were expecting better results. I don't understand. No, I was expecting the same results. 
I was expecting similar results to last year. And what we have seen so far is historic ineptitude when it comes to the level of offense here in St. Louis. Yeah, the, the, the ice shifted a different way. The ice was shifted towards the offense last season, and we expected them to keep doing that and tighten up defensively. But instead, it flipped to the defensive side, where they've done a really good job. There's no more offense. And this, I think, is more of a roster problem than it's a coaching problem. Coming up next, the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the junk drawer. T-Bone, what do you got for us today? So I saw something the other day where someone was having a birthday party. It was out in, in L.A. And they paid for the actors of Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul, who play Walter White and Jesse Pinkman from the show Breaking Bad. Well, they need money because be the actor strike. To be their bartenders out at their birthday party in L.A. If you could get one or two actors to come and Ooh. bartend a birthday party oh, for you. I already you, know mine. Who would you bring out? I already know mine. So people are going to disagree with this. That's fine. I really like Ryan Reynolds. Oh, he'd be good. I think Ryan Reynolds would be great. And then, hmm, who would be my other? I'd probably go uh, Samuel L. Jackson. I think he'd be a good time. Life of the party. Oh, shit. Who? Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, I thought you see Mellow Jackson. I'm no, like, I probably didn't is that? enunciate that particularly um, well. Samuel L. Jackson and Ryan Reynolds. Mine's my Steve Carell and uh, Jim uh, John Krasinski. Sure. Yep, I'm going to have an office Krasinski party. Be fun. I'm going to have an office party. It'll be Michael Scott and Jim Halpert. That'd be great. I, I really do like that one. Yep. You know who I have really enjoyed as a comedian, but I think he he did more. He's more known for like this Disney movie is Tim Allen. I don't know how much of a life of the party he would be, but I do enjoy some of his stuff. Just ask him to do that. Isn't Tim Allen a little problematic? Uh, did, didn't he kind of get the I've heard kind of both sides of that where he's okay. kind of a, a jerk but I've also heard he's not you know like it's the same with Tom Hanks like I've heard somebody tell me Tom Hanks is like I don't the biggest that. you know what and then I've also heard like he's the nicest guy you could ever talk to mine was like there's no other you got to get a duo that has camaraderie you can't get two guys that don't work well together you know who would be fun Reynolds and, ja- and Jackson would be funny thank you buddy I, I'm gonna go see them and I, I don't know how good a comedian would be though behind the the bar like i was thinking i'm gonna go see jim gaffigan and jerry seinfeld when they come to town in st louis i wonder if they would be fun um, but i don't know if i want someone that's telling jokes behind the other ones that would be good would be uh key and peel oh sure the, from the, from the comedy duo. Oh, yeah, well, that too. would be a phenomenal duo for a bartender there's, there's a lot of potentially good options here now if we're going female bartenders could have different options there Somebody brought up Kate Beckinsale. That'd probably be one of them. Be good. Like Kate Beckinsale. I like Kate McKinnon. I like Rachel McAdams. Sure. Another really good one. Maybe you get Rachel McAdams in uh, Lindsay Lohan. Mean, mean Girls reunion. <laughs> Does he get that reference? No chance. No chance. No, but you I know Lindsay Lohan. Girls, right? Someone said no. the someone said the Rock and Kevin Hart. That's oh, another that would be really a good, deal. good one. Those guys are really close. Will Ferrell and Kevin Hart. That'd be another really Will fun. Will Ferrell would be John excellent. C. Riley with Will Ferrell. Yeah. That'd be good. The Step uh, Brothers. They're falling out, though. They're not friends anymore. Really? Yeah, because they did, of the like, multiple movies together. Winning time thing. 
Oh, really? Yep. Because they, they just did that Sherlock Holmes movie. Was that after or before? In the last year and a half uh, because of the winning time. Will Ferrell really wanted to play that role. John C. Riley ended up getting it, and it apparently affected their relationship. Just another one good to Steve Martin and Martin Short. Oh, that's right people, up your alley. I don't know if anybody has watched Only Murders in the Building. That Phenomenal right television show. Love it. And those two kill. Steve Martin. I'm not sure somebody else makes me laugh as hard as Steve Martin does, and he doesn't you even have to I, try. You know who I'd really like would be Robert Downey Jr. I think Robert Downey Jr. would be the life of the party. He has been in the past. I, yeah. yeah, I was about to say, I don't think he could do that. <laughs> um, I don't think he would be around for that one. I don't know that that would end up working out well. Aubrey Plaza is somebody that I'm very, a very big fan of, by the way. And, um, Someone said John was like a Michael Gersh. That'd be fun. They'd, <laughs> they'd have their scuba gear. No, well, one would have scuba. The other would have a snorkel sure. gear on. Coming up next, two are the brand name managers that now exist in Major League Baseball. Terry Francona, gone. Dusty Baker, <laughs> gone. Who exists at this point? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. something didn't know i was going to be doing this here on the show today will ferrell john c Riley, they're still good it's adam mckay that has a problem with will ferrell and really it's more will ferrell has the problem with adam mckay so wanted to get that correction out there that's on me i'll be better boys someone also just keeps providing fake news around here yep that's on me all right so let's get into the discussion that i wanted to have about the managers in baseball right now alex every every time we talk about the cardinals manager i would say the most common thing that we hear from the text line is They've got to get somebody in there that has some gravitas, right? They had Tony in there, and he was able to throw his weight around a little bit. It helped the team make the moves that were necessary. You look at what's taking place right now in Atlanta. They have guys that I think is established in Brian Snitker. He's experienced. When you look down in Texas right now, Bruce Bochy is a name brand level manager, right? This is what we think of when you think of 20, 30, 40 years ago. The manager was a star a lot of the time for your team. That's no longer the case. Terry Francona was that, and now he is going to retire. Dusty Baker, I think, had that. He had the name recognition. He had been around the game for seemingly 100 years. He is now going to retire. He announced that earlier today. Alex, outside of, I think you could argue, Bruce Boshi for sure. I think he's on this list. Alex Cora, I think. Who are the other managers that have that name brand recognition at this point? First one that comes to mind for me is Dave Roberts. I mean, when you have as many successful seasons as he has in L.A., uh, you have to put him in this conversation. And I understand that oh, I can't get it done in the playoffs. Yeah, Dusty Baker couldn't get it done in the playoffs either and eventually got his first World Series uh, when he was with the Houston Astros. So he's the first one that comes to mind. Um, does Brian Snitker fall into this category yet? Just because, I mean, all of the success he's had with the Atlanta Braves, but like, I feel like there's got to be a certain amount of years before you get this recognition. That's a fair question. I don't know. I don't know what qualifies at this point. Like somebody on the text line said Bob Melvin. I, I think so. I think he would be a name brand manager, but like my wife doesn't know who Bob Melvin is. I think my wife would know who um, Dave Roberts is. My wife wouldn't know Brian Snitker. Definitely not. Yeah. Um. I, I. She would know know who Kevin Cash is because she thinks he's good looking. Like I think that's. Watch out, man. That's kind of it. 
And don't go to Tampa. Yeah, I was like, going to say, you should She go. would have known Francona. She would have recognized him, at least. Yeah. Dusty Baker, definitely they would have recognized. I didn't think of this name until just now. And I, I think he may be more recognized in the negative than anything else. AJ Hinch in Detroit. Is he a name brand manager? Yeah, Maybe. but I don't think because he, he was. Major. I think he was on path to be that until the before problems. he got booted. I don't. I don't know that he did it long enough, and now he's frankly been so irrelevant up in Detroit that I. I don't know. Well, and I feel like bec- he's only in that conversation because of what happened in Houston, not because of the success. I kind of agree. And I don't know if you can put him in that. What about Craig Council? I think he's got this. If he yeah. goes to the Mets, he doesn't fit the criteria that I gave of like my my, my right. wife recognizing him. But everybody agrees he's one of the best managers. And if in he baseball, goes to the Mets and one. wins there, now you've got somebody who's done it in two separate places. Because let's be honest, the criteria that we're talking about right now, the at least names you mentioned, had success in multiple places: Bruce Bochy, Terry Francona, Dusty Baker. That's a good point. If Council has to go and win in in the New York Mets organization. If he doesn't, then I don't know if he falls into this criteria. Somebody else mentioned um, somebody that I think kind of fits into this criteria, strangely enough, and it's probably because he's a former player that won a championship. Skip. Skip's See, recognizable. I don't, I, don't I don't know if he's there yet. Yeah, but I think he's recognizable he, still from being a player than he is his man- success right, as a yeah, manager. Because I was going to say, I, when I think Skip Schumacher, I still think player. I don't somebody, think manager. Somebody totally texted there. an Aaron Boone, and I would say the same thing. Like, Aaron Boone hasn't won enough as a manager for yeah, me to give him manager, that recognizable. manager, been there a while, was yeah, on TV. I, think he might I could there. see that. Yeah, I, I would say Boone fits this more than, like, Snitker. Yeah, Maybe even and, more than Bob Melvin. And more than Schumacher, in my opinion. Yeah. Because Schumacher's buried in Miami. Like somebody else mentioned, Buck Showalter. That's the name. He's another just guy about that to was one of the name brand guys, but now he's gone. Now he'll it, probably be back. Though. He's, I gonna, think he's I, going to LA. I was. Yeah. I heard he's going to be the Angels. The problem with him is like he's sticking around to the point where it's like, man, you just might need to call it because <laughs> you're going. The, the last places he's been have been unsuccessful. At least Dusty Baker continued to win where he went. The reason why I bring this up is because as much as we want this, or some fans want this as the manager. Man, I, it's not really even a Cardinals problem, and that doesn't make it right, but the manager has just, I don't know if it's become devalued, or I think there's some of that. It, it's gone into the background. Like Now it is the players exclusively, almost, that are the stars, and when it's not them, it's the front office that has become the star. It's the transaction. I think the managers were the stars. When free agency wasn't as big a part of the game, you know, and so you got these trades that took place occasionally and there'd be stars that are moved from one team to another. But you think 30 years ago, like, man, free agency didn't have the same place in the game as it does today. Now you get through seven years and you expect players to go somewhere else. And so when those transactions are taking place, it's the GM that's coming out and being kind of the face of your franchise. There's very few teams that you think of where you can say, okay, when you think of non-players who was the first guy that you think of for some places it's the owner for some places it's the gm very few it's the manager yeah that's what i was gonna say is i feel like it's the role has switched from the manager's kind of name brand to the gm or the pobo because i like i think john mozaluk has more name recognition than obviously ollie marmol because marmol's sure. been here for two years but I, I think you can say that about a lot of teams in Major League Baseball. Dombrowski like, and Philly. Dombrowski. Um, who was I just thinking of that I had in my head, too? Anthropolis with Atlanta. probably out in L.A. Uh, in honestly. New York, as much as we talk about Boone, who's the guy that... Sure. Uh, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Oh, the cash, not Cashman. Cash, Cashman. Cashman. Yeah. And you th- also the owner. Yeah. like there. As much as we talk about Boone, I do think he is name recognizable. He may be more so because he used to play, and that team's just under a lot of fire. But I, I think that role has switched because when I think back to like when TLR was here... 
it, it was a lot of, well, TLR is making the decisions, and then he relays it to Mo, who's running things, and then Mo makes the move. And that's why I'm so, I question Snitker, because just as much as I talk Snitker, I talk Anthropolis with Atlanta of what he has done in terms sure. of acquiring the players and signing the players to the extension. You kept the core around. Sure, Snitker's having success, but you've had great players come through and you keep them here. I, th- I think this started, by the way, when you saw, why am I drawing a blank on his name right now? Uh, Boston, Chicago, Theo. When Theo yeah. became the whiz kid in Boston, yeah. I think that was kind of the start of what we have now seen, right? And he had a great manager, obviously, at the time. It, it, one of the guys that we're talking about that would fit into this criteria. But I think that was the start of the GM slash president of baseball operations actually becoming the faces of your franchise in yeah, some way. And I think it followed up with Luno. I, I think Luno was the guy that then led to that. And that's before he had the whole trash can banging scandal. But he was the guy that built that team race. from the ground up. The yeah, Rays the race are the too. next thing. Them having so many guys that have with gone Friedman. on to either have success elsewhere or try to recreate what they did in Tampa Bay. Is, is part of what we're talking about here as well. All right, coming up next, Julian McKenzie writes about the Calgary Flames up in Calgary, Canada. He also had a great piece over on The Athletic yesterday describing why so many teams, including the Blues, have gone to this zone defense and what it's doing to offenses around the league. We'll talk to him about all of that coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by a writer for the Athletic Calgary. You can follow him on Twitter at JCam Kinsey. He is Julian McKenzie joining us here on the show. Julian had a great piece over at the Athletic the other day talking about why teams have gone to a zone defense and what it means for offenses around the league. We'll get to that here in just a moment. But Julian, where I want to begin with you today, you live in Calgary? Like, you actually chose to do that, man? It says it feels like seven degrees up there right now. What is that like? Um, first off, thanks so much for having me, guys. Um, <laughs> hey, man. Uh, look, man, the opportunity came for me to cover a team and, and move up from my previous job at The Athletic, and uh, the opportunity came for me to work in Calgary. And you know what? I get the weather's not that ideal right now. It's the <laughs> second time I've experienced uh, winter in October, but honestly, <laughs> the city's really nice. It's a great time. It's a great place to be. Uh, I, I've got family that lives here. I've got some friends that live here too, and it's been really great uh, hanging out here, covering the team. I, I'm blessed, right? Like I could be 100%. anywhere in the world, but I'm here, man. I'm I'm I'm, I'm really thankful I have the opportunity. Hey, man, here. you're covering an like, NHL <laughs> team. It's it's an yeah. amazing opportunity. Yeah. I'm not trying to take away from any yeah. of that. I just we talked That's with our right, Blues right? insider like, earlier today, and he said it is so freaking cold right now. I just, I it, it is. When I saw that it's six degrees and it's late October, man, that is insane. I got to remember, you guys are on the Fahrenheit tip, right? So, yeah. like, you guys say six degrees. I would kill for six degrees. <laughs> so you guys keep saying six degrees. And I'm like, what are you talking about? No, I know you guys mean six Fahrenheit. But, like, no, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Like, you see the uh, the snow on the ground. Like, I'm, I'm sure if you tally it up, I think it's probably been, like, 20 centimeters since the beginning oh of the week. And like, I already got snow tires. I had snow tires on from like a week in advance. Like <laughs> last year, I was not up on it. I got ahead of the game. Do you just put snow tires on in like July and say, I got to be ready for September when it rolls around? 
my snow tires up until like June this year. So like you're not that far off. Hey, the way I always look at it, Julian, is it could be worse. You could be in Winnipeg, right? You know what? Let me not get myself in trouble you know, with the smart, right? Let me very not get smart. in trouble with the pack, okay? You know what? Very well, smart. Well played by yes. you. All right, smart Julian, man. let's get into the hockey side of things because you had an awesome piece the other day over at The Athletic. We've been talking a lot about the zone defense trend around the league because it's something that caught on here in St. Louis. The Blues decided to go in this direction. As you were going through your conversations with people from around the league, you were starting to look into this a little bit. What did you find out? Why are so many teams ditching man-to-man and instead going to a zone? defense this year shout out to Fluish and Zala who I worked with on this article what's funny is like he wanted this he had started the idea I noticed that the Calgary Flames were doing it and we both realized that we were working on it so I reached out to him I was like hey man let's try to come together with with what we have and uh it turned out great a lot of people have 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 had a lot of positive feedback and in talking to all the different players a lot of it sort of ties back to the successes of teams that have come before them and teams that have come up a lot are, are Tampa Bay and, and Vegas. Boston also comes up a bit too, because they've gone from man to man to zone where just for whatever reason, it's just worked out for them. It seems like it's a good way to kind of neutralize some of the faster oncoming, stronger players that enter the offensive zone, as opposed to having guys who will, you know, you have a one-on-one with like an Austin Matthews and you get beat. Who else is going to be there to protect you? There's a lot of guys who have mentioned having layers in defensive coverage as well. So if you have one guy who can beat you up the top, you have another guy in the lower defensive quadrant who can also come up and 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 play defense. Obviously, there's some growing pain seeing in Calgary right now. They're really adjust- they're trying their best to adjust to it. It has not worked out ideally. We're seeing a lot of holes in in the slot. We're seeing a lot of holes right in front of the net, and they're still working at it. It's only a couple of games in. But the fact that it's worked out for Tampa Bay, I know they had, a zone, they had a zone hybrid, but that's still zone. The fact that it worked for Vegas, the fact that it's worked for other teams before them, that's explaining why so, some teams are, are getting into it this year. You know, Julian, the part that we're suffering from in St. Louis, and it's so interesting because Calgary's suffering from it as well, is, you know, on, mm-hmm. on the zone defensive side, like the defense looks better than what it did last year for St. Louis, but they're not scoring goals. And you look at these last couple of games for Calgary, one goal scored, two goals scored, one goal scored. Like Calgary, the offense seems to have disappeared with so many great offensive players. Is that a result of this zone defense? No, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, Calgary, with the coverage they had last year, they are actually one of the better defensive teams, actually, in terms of hmm. chances allowed and even goal. And, like, it's kind of fascinating how they decided to make this switch considering the defense was nowhere near the problem. I know people will look at the team and see that they underwhelmed, but Jacob Barksham and Dan Vladar did not have good years. But other than that, if they played league average, we're talking about one of the better defensive teams in the league. But Ryan Huska coming in, the new head coach, who was in charge of defense last year felt that it was necessary to do some kind of subtle change. Again, looking at teams that have been successful and look, they need more time in order to adjust with that. But it is really fascinating to see that they've allowed as many goals that they have, but also to answer your question, no, it's not the reason why they haven't been able to score goals. Goal scoring has been a problem for this team. Even going back to last year, they had Tyler Toffoli on this team who had a career year. He since left for New Jersey. They get Yeager, Sharon Govich back who, is a fine player because they put they can put him up and down the lineup, but they have not sufficiently replaced his goal scoring output. And and it's one thing to not have game breakers, which this Flames team they have the talent they have, but it's not really clear if they have that elite game breaking talent that puts you over the top. But when you don't even really have a, a reliable goal scorer you can depend on, I know Andrew Madripani has scored thirty plus goals before, 
but he might maybe be more of a secondary scorer on, on a really good team. And he can only score so much. Like I, I think just the fact that they're also adjusting to the offense as well. You guys in St. Louis remember Mark Savard in his time at the power play. He's in Calgary now, and, and he's trying to get those concepts in. He's trying to get those guys to play at a faster pace. It just hasn't happened yet with this team. And I think a lot of people are panicking because the cast is largely the same as last year, but there's some holes on, 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 on the offense in terms of goal scoring and with speed as well. I wouldn't put that on the defense. Julian McKenzie is our guest here on 101 ESPN. You could read his work over at The Athletic. Go to the NHL page and read his uh, piece that he did on the zone defense. It's well worth your time. It, I think it helps to explain what the Blues are trying to accomplish this year and why so many mm-hmm. other teams, including Calgary, uh, decided to go that route. Uh, Julian... As I look at Calgary, I, I do feel like the vibes could be better there right now with this Flames team. And it's kind of been that way now for a couple of years where you have had uh, everything that's taken place post-Kachuk, uh, post-Goudreau, and they've been trying to make this thing work. They make the change, of course, in the front office, and now here we are. Lindholm and Hannafin seem to be the two guys that are kind of at the forefront with their free agency coming up soon. Julian, how, how are the vibes with this team right now? How would you describe them? Uh, they're not great. <laughs> Which is funny because like about a month ago in training camp, the vibes were very good. They were very light. Uh, Daryl Sutter was the coach of this team. And look, I mean, he, he has the resume that he has, but he's a curmudgeon, but by all things considered. And because of that vibe, it was very hard to, when things got bad on this team, things got bad and they needed to have a change ahead of that extension that he did sign and they said, you know what? He wasn't the guy to change for to take this team to the next level. And at training camp, you could tell that the mood was just lighter in terms of how players were carrying themselves and how they felt about themselves and the fact that there were supposed to be changes offensively and defensively. And we're, what, seven games in now, and this team has had lackluster performances off their longest road trip of the year. They, they don't play well at home. Uh, earlier this week, it gets the New York Rangers. I mean, even Michael Backlund at the end of the last game is saying tonight's game against St. Louis is the most important game of the year. We're entering game eight with this team. And it's already at that point where realizing that things are not clicking the way that they want to. I think Nikita Zadora had interesting comments earlier this week saying that there are are guys playing like individuals on this team. Uh, Huberto has points, but it feels like patience has worn thin with him. Nelson Contry has one assist through this point of the season. It's, it's, like it's kind of funny because you talk to certain people in this market and they'll say like it's seven games and you shouldn't be panicking, but it's fascinating to see how some players on this team are reacting to this. And it feels like they're, they're panicking right now. And, and it's just kind of a weird feeling to have so early in the season. But also when you talk to fans, considering how disappointing last year was considering all those guys that have left and considering how some of these other teams have, rebuilt in the last few years. I think that loss against Detroit hurt a lot of people because that was a team that's been rebuilding for all these years. And it looks like that young talent is starting to emerge. They make a trade for Alex to break in the off season and those guys torch them in that game. I think that affected a lot of fans watching that game. There is a lot of people in Calgary right now screaming rebuild, but 
Good luck with all those contracts there. So, odds <laughs> are, are, are very are low about right the Blues now. or Calgary Ju- right Julian, now? <laughs> have you ever watched the Twilight Zone? Because I feel like I'm living it right now. <laughs> we went through everything you're describing this time last year. All of it. Every single bit of it. Dude, and we're pending still UFAs, living it. bad vibes, weird comments, uh, GM coming out 10 games into the season Ju- saying, hey, this has got to get fixed or things are going to have to change. Like, yo, everything you're saying, we have gone through yeah, that. Julian, are you... Are you sure there, there's not like a trade that could work for both sides between <laughs> these two teams? Because my God, they're similar. I, you know what? Look, I look Craig Conroy, as far as I'm concerned, I get the wait and see approach. He did in the off season with those pending UFAs. There's an alternate reality where the trade market opens up and maybe he parts with them. He gets pieces. But right now, the fact that he didn't do that much with this team, it's really not looking good with the way that this team has been playing to start off the year. It's on them to figure it out. But look, if it gets to a point where they're going to have to make a move, look, you're going to have to look at teams that have cap space and look upon your own cap space as well. It might be a situation where it could be a disappointing player for a disappointing player. So, look, maybe I'm going to have to talk with uh, my man Jeremy Rutherford about doing do a lot with him about some, some trades to do with St. Louis. I don't know. But it is kind of wild to see that you guys have also endured this too. But you guys know what it's like to start off bad and then turn it around all of a sudden and win a Stanley Cup. So, like, it's. I don't know. Like I don't know how to. I don't know how to feel about that situation. It could change. Uh, all joking aside, with that, Julian. I mean, like I, I look at two players on the Calgary Flames, two that are pending mm-hmm. unrestricted free agents, and Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin, and sit there and say, "Well, these are two guys that are unsure if they're sticking around in Calgary. These are two guys that do exactly what the Blues are lacking." If things go south for both of these teams. Do you see a scenario where maybe one or both of those guys could get traded and St. Louis comes calling? I, I look, I think if, if, if it makes sense, who knows, right? I'm, I'm not going to, I don't want to radio myself and say, Hey, listen on these two guys. Yeah. But I think if this, this team is in a situation, the flames, I mean, if there's a situation where come trade deadline time, they're not in a playoff spot. It's beneficial for them to part ways with those guys and get assets. I think that's the wise thing to do. At this point, unless the team shows significant improvement over the next few weeks, you should probably hold off on extending those guys. There were reports surfacing from last weekend that things were progressing between Noah Hannafin and and the Calgary Flames in terms of a contract extension. And considering the timing of it, I think it would be wise for the team to kind of hold off on those conversations right now. Elias Lindholm, uh, he's come out and said, hey, I want to stay here but it's very clearly a money issue. I mean, I, 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 this is a guy who probably feels he's worth above $9 million. There are a lot of people who might bring pause to that, but if it was anything under that, we'd see that contract signed already. If you're Craig Conroy, you might have to continue waiting this out, and this is the risk that you basically have to run with considering how things went for you in the offseason. Wow. Julian, we'll get you out of here on this. And thanks so much for the time. By the way, I love, I, I don't want to radio myself as a verb there. It's That's fantastic. just tremendous. It's perfect. Genius. Um, with Noah <laughs> Hannafin. Can you describe describe his game for us and kind of tell us a little bit as somebody that's watched him certainly more often than us here in St. Louis. Tell us a little sure. bit about where he fits into like the criteria of what you would describe as a number one defenseman, second pair defenseman. Describe him a little bit for us. It, like I think for Noah Hannafin, he's a solid defenseman who could be used in any type of situation. And I think he for he would fit on anyone's top four. If you're in a situation where he needs to be your number one defenseman, I think it could work in a pinch. I mean, the Flames are literally having that right now because Rasmus Anderson is suspended through to the end of the weekend because of that hit he did last week. 
but he's a fine defense. He can move the puck. He can be used on a PP one, uh, can contribute on offense. He can, he can provide offensively. He can work out a bit defensively as well. He's not going to make a lot of mistakes in this game. He's a fine defenseman to have. I don't think he's someone who, if you're a contending team, you hang your hat on as a number one defenseman. But if you have him in your defense core as your second pairing guy, I think he's a, he's as solid as you can get. And at the fact that he's at what 27 now, him getting signed for like the next seven or eight years. I, I, I don't really see his game falling off that hard, but I also don't see, I mean, as long as you don't overpay him, right? Like we, we had projections on a, on a story we did uh, about what we were hearing about a potential contract and a uh, hat tip to Shana Goldman was able to help out with this in evolving hockey. We're looking at a deal where imagine if he signs for seven years, maybe you try to get him just a shade under 6.5 mil. That's a pretty ideal situation in terms of money. You're not spending all that much for, a guy who's going to play in the middle of your defense core. And if you need him to play top pairing minutes, he absolutely can. He's done so with Rasmus Anderson. But I, I think for any team that would want him, I know we've linked him to Buffalo in the past, Florida in the past as well. That's a guy that can immediately plug into their second pairing and he will just be solid in every situation you need him to be. Julian, this has been awesome, man. Yeah. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today, giving us a little bit of insight into what's going on with the bad vibe Calgary Flames. We appreciate the time and enjoy the game tonight, my man. Uh, likewise to you both. Uh, if you ever want me on again, let me know. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll reach out. That's Julian McKenzie. Appreciate him hopping on with us today. Again, if you missed his piece over on The Athletic, I think it's well worth your time. It's a really good piece Phenomenal. that kind of breaks down and it talks about all of the things that we've been wondering about. Why are so many teams going to this zone defense? What's it mean for other teams around the league? So really good stuff from Julian McKenzie there. Alex, I want to get to something that he said there at the end about uh, Noah Hannafin. want to talk a little bit about how these teams feel very similar going into tonight's game. We'll do all all of that and give you an update on what the Blues are doing line combination wise coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. conversation with julian mckenzie he was awesome he was great we'll definitely have that guy back on again he's a writer for the athletic calgary he wrote about the nhl's new trend where teams are going to this zone defense that the blues have adjusted to he did talk at the end of our conversation with him alex because he does cover the calgary flames that's his day-to-day job about how calgary might have to make some moves they, they might have to change this up a little bit by the end of the year because they sound a lot like the 2022 blues man there are some similarities to what we're currently watching as well but a lot of what they're going through there with the pending ufas being significant pieces of their team all of the infighting everything individual contractors like it sounds a lot like what happened here last and year. by the way they did in the offseason what blues fans are telling and screaming the blues to do now in terms of firing their coach to bring somebody else in with a different voice bring in an assistant coach who was with the team but brings a different vibe to it Look at what the Flames are doing right yeah, now. To be fair, they, they're also, it, it would be as if the Blues had done that prior to last season. Yeah, it would, the, because they're the still off-season. dealing with the UFAs and everything that, that the Blues went through. It's a tough situation to be in as a team. And they've been in turmoil basically since Gaudreau left, which led them to trading Matthew Kachuk as well. We know all of that. Alex, he did talk a little bit about Noah Hannafin and what he is as a player. And what he described sounds a lot to me like what we would describe as Colton Pareko. Yeah. I, I at this point, think that's exactly what the Blues are missing. I think Pareko's been really good this year, man. He's had a awesome. really solid season so far for the Blues. Would I consider him to be a legit top 
pairing defenseman, like a number one guy? No, maybe not. But I think he's been really good. It's kind of like, do the are the Cardinals going to get an ace this offseason? Probably not. Can they get a guy that can start a game one and you feel okay about it? Sure. Like a Nathan Avalti. He started game one for the Texas Rangers. They're in the World Series. So you can win that way. And the Blues can win without a legit number one defenseman for the foreseeable future. <laughs> They've just got to find somebody that can be that partner for Pareko. And I don't think they have that currently on the roster. They don't. This is why they pursued Travis Sanheim. And by the way, Travis Sanheim is, according to all of the Philadelphia writers, looked like a top pairing defenseman for the first time in his career. I I mean, like this is, I I know and I understand the sentiment when I make the statement that, well, it shouldn't just be on the partner for Colton Pareko. It should be on Pareko as well. You're right. But look at what the season is offering. Pareko has been outstanding, but there still have been moments that goals have gone in when he's been on the ice. A lot of that has to do with the guy that's on the ice with them. They've got to make the best decisions just as well as Colton Pareko does. And I look at Noah Hannafin. Look, is he an elite number one defenseman? Absolutely not. But he's 27 years old, and in a lot of teams' opinion, he's a top-pairing guy. He's the equivalent of what Hampus Lindholm was for the Anaheim Ducks. He got traded to Boston, needed a change of scenery from a team that was struggling, and went on to have all of the success, and now he's playing in their top pair. That's what Noah Hannafin is. Noah Hannafin is a 27-year-old unrestricted free agent that if you partner him with another guy who is good at moving the puck out of the zone, another guy who is good at eliminating the front of the net, and limit, partner him with a guy who's got speed, you've got a, a top pair going up against other lines. And that doesn't mean he's great. It means he's pretty good, and he can help you. And that's really, at this point, all the Blues can ask for, and this is not something that's going to happen anytime in the near future. But if things start things continue trending in the direction that they are for both of these teams, they're going to have to start making some decisions that are more future thinking than they are 2023 thinking. And I wouldn't be surprised if once again, they get connected as a potential trade partner. And and when teams do this, the first route, if you're Calgary is, well, we want to stay competitive. We don't want to rebuild. So you're not trading a guy just to trade him for assets. You're trading a guy so that you could get somebody else in that could be a part of your core. All right. As for tonight, when the blues do take on the flames pregame with Alex begins at seven o'clock right here in your home for the blues. One one ESPN. They have made some changes for the lineup. They are now official. Craig Burby told reporters up in Calgary, the blues will be going with 11 and seven tonight. Yakub Vrana will be sitting. Tyler Tucker will be out of the lineup. Nikita Alexandrov also a scratch tonight for the Blues. Robert Bortuzzo getting in. Scott Perunovic going to be the extra defenseman as well. Sounds like he could, quote, get some time on the PP. We'll see about that, where exactly he fits into everything. Alex, the big one here is twofold. Scott Perunovic in. Yakub Vrana is out. What do you think about the moves? So the, let's start with the Perunovic in. You're trying to get more offense specifically from your defense, and Scott Perunovic is going to provide that. Like I said, if I envision what they're going to do with seven defensemen, it's going to be offensive zone faceoffs. Perunovic is going to be on the ice. Defensive zone faceoffs, neutral zone faceoffs. It's going to be Bortuzzo, Scandella, all of the other six. Um, I, I like the idea. It wouldn't surprise me also if we see him like as the second defenseman on that number one power play unit. If it doesn't work the first time, maybe he throws him out there with Tory crew just to get a little bit more puck movement to spread the ice. The Yakub Verano one, I mean, the quote from Craig Brewery says we need more from him. They need more from him on the forecheck. And uh, Jeremy Rutherford, I want to pull this up because he just put up there kind of how he's played this season. Look, uh, uh, we've Forcey seen ratings 38%. Yeah. Scoring chances are more against than four, and the expected goal shares is about 39%. Now, this is without any context here. I want to make it very clear. His entire line has those That's kinds of thing. numbers. And most of the team has numbers that are similar, if not worse, than what he's putting out there for Yakub Vrana. And, and that's the biggest part of this one. Like, look, the scoring chances for and against are, are very bad, but this is not just because of Yakub Vrana. 
it's also Sammy Blay. Guys, Sammy Blay is getting a demotion tonight. Now, he's not going into the press box like Yakub Verana, but Sammy Blay profiles more like a fourth liner than Yakub Verana. And if you're not going to play Verana on that third line because his line hasn't been playing well, then he's got to sit in the press box. Whereas Sammy Blay, you can say, hey, we're going to cut your ice time down. You're going to go out there eight to ten minutes tonight, and you're going to be a four-checker, a physical presence, a tone setter. So Yakub Verana, and I promise you, this is going to be tonight, and he's going to be back in the lineup tomorrow. Unless they have success with this 11-7. If they do, Barubi might stick with it a little bit. But if it doesn't go the way that Barubi hoped, this is for Yakub Verana to be in the press box and say, He's going to sit right next to Mike Babcock Jr., their skills coach. He's going to sit right next to David Alexander, their goaltending coach. And they're going to say, here's where you're lacking. Here's where you're not performing the way we need you to. It's forecheck. It's puck possession. It's taking more shots. And the biggest thing, as we mentioned earlier, they need him. They they need Absolutely. Akubrana. That's why you're doing this in game six it, rather than game 30. If this team's going to get back on track, if they're going to be the team that we all hoped that they could be, they need Jakub Verano to be a goal scorer. Mm-hmm. And for him to be a goal scorer, he's got to be on the ice. For him to be on the ice, he's got to do these things that Craig Berube is looking for. Whether we agree or disagree with this doesn't much matter. Ultimately, Craig Berube is the one that's making these decisions. And if he doesn't think that Jakub Verano has been good enough to earn the ice time that is necessary for him to get those goals going... Hey, man, it could be a long year, Um, but hopefully this ends up working out. And if it does, everybody will be looking back on it 20 games from now saying, man, Craig Berube got it right again. We'll see if that ends up being the case for Alex and T-Bone on BK. We'll hit the rewind coming up next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by <clears throat> Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. You guys can always watch us on YouTube as well during the show and afterwards, youtube.com slash 101ESPN. Yeah, whatever you prefer. Wow. In fact, you could watch it during and then rewatch oh it again. God. After the show today, if that's the way oh. that you roll, the studio cams are powered by the Air Alliance team. Alex, to finish up the show today, I we should bring this up. There was a report yesterday that the Cardinals are reportedly interested in a closer that's coming over from Japan. Uh, Yuki Matsui is his name. He's 28 years old. He's thrown about 150 innings over the last three years. He's one of the most well-regarded relievers right now over in Japan. He's got an ERA under two. It's crazy the number of saves that he's racked up in this stretch. Is he a lefty? He is a lefty. Of course he he's is. also very small, like size-wise, height. Like he's, T-bone uh, size? Yeah, he's rather wow. petite. I weigh more than this guy. <laughs> he has the best swinging strikeout rate in Japan, which is <laughs> nice to see. Did have a little bit of a higher walk rate than what you'd expect. Fine. Sits 92 to 94. He's got a splitter. He's got a slider as well. Got some good stuff, apparently, according to all of the reports from people over there. You guys cool with them bringing over a, a reliever from Japan if that's the route they decide to go? I mean, you had success with it in the past. Like when you brought over Sungwon O and it worked. You used him as a closer. We talked last yesterday or two days ago about the high leverage arm for the bullpen. I, I like this. I mean, I like this better than going after a Josh Hader because, I mean, Josh Hader's a better pitcher in the major league level. 
but Josh Hader also has some baggage, and this player might come in and actually work well with your bullpen. So I don't mind this it. to be the only addition. Agreed. I, I'm totally fine with this being an addition if it's this plus one other arm. And it sounds like he's probably not going to cost you a ton. Some of Which is probably why seen, they're doing it. Yeah, it's like a three-year deal worth like 5 to $10 million. It's kind of what has yeah. been projected from people. And I'm not talking per year. I'm talking total, potentially. Oh, so if you can steal. get him at, at that rate, sure, I've got no problems with you adding this guy whatsoever. But I, I don't want this to be the only addition you make to the bullpen. Right. you got to make multiple. Yeah, I, I think this deal would be okay. Like, I do have some concerns. I know the walk rate came down a little bit from years prior, but... If he's had a walk issues in Japan, that's the kind of thing that would balloon once you get here to the States. That That is a little bit concerning, like the Baltimore pitcher, uh, Fujinami, I think was yep. his name, where he like he can throw strikes, he's got electric stuff, but he doesn't know where it's going. Kind of like Blake Snell. Uh, I also don't think they need a lefty, too, by the way. I, there's whole obsession with, we got to get a lefty reliever, got to get a lefty reliever. I think this guy is like taking JoJo's role. I would just say get two righties rather than this one lefty, because I think you've got JoJo, Packy, if he comes back, depending on what the reports are with him, and then Matthew Libertor in the bullpen next year as well. I think they're probably done with Packy, or at least he's the depth piece. Not counting on him. Yeah, and Libertor is going to be in the minors. I think he's going to be a That's why you're doing this. And if he's got swing and miss stuff, you could use him in a higher leverage role. I don't know what his splits are against righties compared to lefties. And it might end up being different here than it was over there. But, yeah, that's that's the guy that they're reportedly connected to right now. Hopefully it's not the only Japanese pitcher that they they are going to be connected to. But – uh, that is the first one that we have seen legitimate reports, according to um, some of the reports over in Japan. They have made a formal offer to him, and it's expected that he's going to make the jump to the state. So hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. I I like it. I just don't want it to be the only move in the bullpen. For Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN. Not, not what I've seen with uh, our boy Fat and Marilyn Kelly. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.